entering Natty State Studio, the sports media palace of Mid-America, the Wolf of Center Street. Here's your host, John Neighbor. And welcome into the John Neighbor Show here live from the Natty State Sports Studios. Appreciate everybody listening in and watching in on this beautiful day here in the great state of Arkansas. I am your host, John Neighbors, and appreciate each and every one of you for making us a part of your afternoon this afternoon. And it is a beautiful Thursday, and we're going to have a lot of things to get to today. Former Razorback great Dusty Hannes actually got a chance to catch up with him, and he's going to be joining us during the show today. And he leaves for Israel tomorrow to go back and get his pro contract signed and continue to play. So we're going to talk to him about that experience and also coming back from Israel with the scariness that happened there. And also talk to him about the current state of the Razorback basketball team and get an idea of what he's been thinking and how he's been feeling. But we're also going to talk about some of the other things going on in the sports world. A little former Razorback, different Razorback, getting a big job in the NBA that people don't even remember him being a former Razorback, but it did happen. We'll have some fun with that too. But, uh, you know, right now, at least where it stands, I think Razorback basketball is whatever. And Razorback baseball is still in the early stages. You know, Friday, tomorrow, they're going to be having another weekend series. And there'll be some things to discuss and things to talk about during that time. But I really wanted to bring up today football because, yes, that is a sport that is played and it is a sport that's very important that people love. And a week from today is when the Razorbacks are going to be starting up their spring practices. Now, nothing gets people more hyped than spring football. Nothing gets people more just going wild for all of the great things that football could bring to people and make them get feeling so good about the possibilities of what could be happening the upcoming fall season. That's a fact. Well, I don't know if it's a fact, but we at least make it out to be. But the fact that it's a week away really shows you that it's a new era for Razorback football, and that coupled with the SEC Media Day schedule being officially announced, which will be in July, it has people kind of having the football things on their mind. So looking at Razorback football this year, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going to happen. I know that I'll probably work myself into a frenzy as we get closer to the fall season and say that, hey, this Razorback football team is going to find a way to win nine or ten games, obviously, because of this particular reason, this particular player, this particular dynamic, and just get excited for it once again, especially with a home schedule in the SEC that Arkansas has this year. I mean, you're talking about in Fayetteville alone, they're playing Texas, Tennessee, Ole Miss, and LSU. And then they have to go on the road in week two to play an Oklahoma State team, which you haven't played in quite some time in football. We get a little Stillwater action, and it's a big year for a lot of different reasons. Sam Pittman, this is the do-or-die year for Sam, and we all know that. There's no doubt that going 4-8 and eight last year and then going 7-6 and six the year before after going 9-4 and four the year before that, the trajectory has not been going the right direction. But he was able to save a lot of face with a lot of people because of the hiring of one Bobby Petrino. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a guy that used to coach at Arkansas and had a lot of success. And he's back as the offensive coordinator, which will be interesting to see with that, coupled with a new quarterback that's going to be starting, not named K.J. Jefferson. And also what the defense is going to look like as it continues to develop. Linebackers have had a lot of change. There's just a lot of elements to this team that could be good, could be bad, or just could be whatever. But we know that it has to be better than what we saw this past season. But given the schedule, given the circumstances, and given to where everything's at, it's really hard to predict it right now. A lot of new faces, a lot of new players. In fact, I challenge any of you to name 10 players on this upcoming roster without looking. A lot of you probably won't be able to do it because of the transfer portal, people moving on, going out to the uh, stuff with the NFL draft, maybe going to that direction. But 
still it's a it's a very pivotal year for Razorback football and a very pivotal time for Sam Pittman and it's going to be an early challenge for him and seeing how this team goes and how this season goes but with SEC media days coming up which I know we'll talk about the scheduling there and also uh, having spring practices I guess they still do a spring game of sorts or whatever it is but uh, we're going to talk about it, and so we'll go ahead and welcome in our uh, astute member of Natty State Sports here too. We got Andrew Ellis is hanging out. He knows ball, but he also knows pigskin. So, uh, I mean, how? I mean, listen, it's a Thursday. It's football season in my mind right now, Andrew. It it, it became football season about eight minutes ago, John. Whenever we were holding that official Arkansas Razorback football that we have over there, that made me that got the feels. Now, yeah. now I want to go step out on the gridiron, like you said. I want to yep. want to toss that pigskin a little bit. Uh, and the, the weather these past couple of days have been windy and cold. It kind of gives you that football. Like I kind of want to line up and go seven on seven. You know, do yeah. a little Oklahoma drill. I'm uh, I'm ready to get into it, man. I uh, I've, I've started to do my research a little bit on this. I'm starting to learn some of these guys' names. Landon Jackson. You ever heard of this guy? Real good. He's, he's big, good. Real big guy. He's uh he's on this team. He's yeah. good. Yeah. Hey, I got some big athlete. Jalen <laughs> yeah. Green, another another very large man who is on this football team. I can't. I'm I'm, I'm kind of I'm really excited to see spring practice. I know we joke a little bit, but like. I really am like I love going to those practices because they really let you go like over an hour, so you get a real a real look at the team. And so we got a quarterback competition too. That's I mean, right. There's there's a, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about Arkansas football. N- not many of them include the actual games that will happen later this year, but there's there's a reason for excitement. That's right. Well, you you said you're going through and doing some research and looking at the roster. So does that mean you were just doing it because you wanted to know who the crap you were going to be talking about, or is was there something that like stood out and you're like, oh yeah, this well, so thing? Is basically, there. what I did was I just like took the roster and broke it down into by position and just wanted to like look at all the names together like not make a depth chart or anything but just kind of look okay here's who they got at quarterback here they got and just initial reactions and man it's really tough when you start looking on that defense and you're like who's gonna play linebacker for this team that was kind of one of my initial takeaways like on d-line some of the names you at the top like i mentioned like landon jackson cam ball and eric gregory you kind of know uh not a ton of depth up there in that front seven so i think that's one of the bigger question marks for me this spring is like who are going to be these guys that we go to practice and they're like, oh, can't stop talking about whether it's Brad Spence or what incoming linebacker. Who's going to be the guy that we fall in love with when we see him in shorts? You know, yeah. that's that's really what it comes down to. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think this it's it's going to be interesting. It's going it's going to be interesting for sure. And there's I don't know. It's 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 back in the day. It was so much easier to project college football teams because it's like, hey, who has the most returning starters? Yeah. Who has the most whatever? Nowadays, we've learned that that means nothing. Mm-hmm. So uh, who knows? I mean, if there's ever a time when you could take a huge jump year to year without being anything on paper that jumps out. I think it, this the way college football is nowadays, we've seen a lot of teams do it lately of just great teams pop up out of nowhere. I don't think that's what's happening here at Arkansas, no, but no. I just think that's why it's interesting each offseason where we basically have to start over every year of like, we can't compare what what happened last year to this year. Like it's just, it's going to be fun. So yeah, I can't wait just to see the quarterback thing. Cause you know, I, I look back to just, We'll, we'll track it all the way back to say you know mid 2000s or whatever but you very few times have you actually had an Arkansas football team have a quarterback competition you know KJ Jefferson yeah. was basically the guy for the past three years uh when Felipe Franks came in I think everybody was like this is going to be the guy he's going to start uh the Chad Morris thing I come on like, do we even they're, call those competitions I about to say <laughs> it's not competition to see who just like sucked less that week but even going back before that with Brett Bielma it was Brandon Allen, Austin Allen, like yeah. that was it. Those are those were the two guys. And before uh, that, AJ Derby Erasure, bro, started that Rutgers game. Yes, he did, <laughs> and uh, moved him to tight end. So that kind of sums up exactly how it went <laughs> yeah. for him. But he was actually an NFL tight end, played played there, so it worked out for it. But uh, even before that, you had Tyler Wilson, Ryan Mallett, 
Uh, I guess the Casey Dick, Nathan Dick thing, maybe a little yeah, bit. I mean, really, you could go back to Casey Dick, Robert Johnson, maybe. That might be like yeah. your first, like your last, like real <laughs> quarterback competition. I mean, Mitch Mustaine, you could throw in yeah. there a little bit. Like, so, but pretty much, like, since the mid 2000s, yeah. there hasn't been a whole lot of quarterback competition yeah. legitimate. And this time around, I still believe at the end of the day, it's going to be Taylor Green, but it's not, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, well, I know for sure. Like, it's no question. It's, yeah. It's, it's that and also with Bobby Petrino now being the offense coordinator and quarterbacks coach, he knows a little something about quarterbacks, and he's going to choose whoever is going to be the best person to run his system and to know what he's doing. So I, I, I look forward to getting out there on the field for practice a week from today, even though it won't, it won't be decided in spring, but just right. seeing, hey, is there, how's this, how does Taylor Green look throwing the ball? What about Jacoby Criswell? How is he handling this new coach and Bobby Petrino coached offense? Like, that's going to be the only thing people really want to hear about and want to know about. I feel like it's going to be quarterback and Bobby and offense right now. Yeah, and we've just, you know, like you said, we've, we haven't seen this situation in a while, but we haven't seen Sam Pittman have to make a decision like this, you no. know, where, the you know, obviously everyone's going to have an opinion. Every fan is going to have their guy who they think should be starting, and if he makes the wrong one, oh, man, you should have started Quiz Criswell. You should have started Green. Hey, Malachi Singleton, man, why didn't he start? Uh, Austin Ledbetter, yeah, man, Austin. why didn't he start, man? Can't wait to see Ledbetter out there throwing. Heck yeah. But, uh, no, I think it's going to be interesting, and I remember when Felipe came in, not only was there not a competition, but Pittman was very, like, adamant about it where he's like, hey, we don't really talk about that, so we don't have positions that are, like, up for grabs, which is a lie. But I remember him just saying, he's like, we just have a depth chart. Felipe lines up with the ones until for, until something changes. Like he's he's our first team quarterback, and so it's just kind of the way he approaches it. But I don't think you're. It's not going to be that simple this year, where you can just say, "Hey, this is guys our one, this is our two, this is our three, and we're just going to keep it that way until we need to." Like I think there's going to have to be plenty of time where you give Jacoby his reps with yeah. the one, give Taylor his reps with the one, see what Singleton Singleton can do, and so I think it's just going to be such a fun story to monitor. Where every week, every question, you know, that's that's going to be the big question where it's like, hey. What happened this week with the quarterbacks? What happened last week with the quarterbacks? And kind of, you know, we won't be able to determine it all in the spring, like you said, but I think we'll be able to start laying the foundation for what we think is going to happen, and we can at least get our takes off. You know, yeah. that's really what it's all about is just getting the takes off. And <laughs> yeah. so I can't wait to get out there and get up close and personal, get my uh, my scout hat on and really yeah. look at them. Yeah. Uh, man, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. And also, I don't think Arkansas like, – I don't think this is a situation where Arkansas doesn't have – a guy that can start. Like I think Jacoby Criswell is a starting level yeah, quarterback. He's obviously been starter. around, been waiting for this kind of opportunity to arise. Taylor Green has started and that is at this not the SEC level, but has played a lot. And so it's like I think you have two very legitimate candidates and a really talented kid in Malachi Singleton soap and KJ Jackson, the true Can't freshman. Him. We were talking about that. I was talking, I don't know if it was Curtis or Scotty or both, but I was like, wouldn't it be kind of fun if just after one week of spring, it was very obvious that KJ Jackson was like a generational talent. That would be cool. You know, like, it, and I hope he just makes some noise. Yeah. You know, just make a little push. Well, that, and that's where it's like my trust for Bobby Petrino and how he's going to run the offense and him knowing quarterbacks. It's again, I'm, if whoever gets named, I'm just gonna be like, yeah, okay. Like, I'm not going to be like, eh, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. I don't, this is what I don't like. But we haven't really seen any of these guys in any sort of major starting role, except for really for Taylor Green, who's, of course, the transfer from Boise State. And last season, uh, you know, he completed – because when you read his stats last year, people are going to be like, ew, why, yeah. why are we even talking about this guy? Because he did complete only 57% uh, of his passes. He did only throw for 1,700 yards. He did throw 11 touchdowns and nine interceptions. And he was sacked eight times, but he also rushed for 436 yards and had nine rushing touchdowns. So a little bit of a dual threat guy. And 
Uh, he's six six. He's all of six six. Very tall. Very boy. very athletic. And he's a guy that I know Petrino wanted. And when they got him out of the transfer portal, that's where I was like, okay, well this this maybe makes sense. But he's really the only one you've seen in legitimate like experienced guys. And like you said, being a Boise State and not having great numbers, it still makes it to where right. he's like, yeah, you've seen him, but like, what is he going to do in the SEC in this year with uh, this team? Like. Yeah. Who's to say? Maybe could he be another Ben Hicks that didn't have great numbers and came in and was terrible? Or does he just need Bobby to get a hold of him and then start put, developing him? Like That's the question. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I think that we've figured out context is very important when trying to figure out if a quarterback is good or not. Because, hey, if you look at K.J. Jefferson's stats for some of last year, you might yeah. say, hmm, this guy, I don't know, you know, it's not that big of a loss. He really wasn't that great. But as we've seen K.J. in a good, stable situation, and he's obviously a lot better uh, I think that it didn't matter. Like, if Taylor Green were on last year's Arkansas team, yeah, he would have sucked. I'm sure Jacoby Criswell would have sucked. I mean, he was on the team, and he, you yeah. know, if he, he had been the starter, he would have sucked. Like, I, I think that it's just going to be tough to evaluate. And that's another big question of like, we can find the quarterback all we want, but is this offensive line going to take that improvement and take that next step forward? The receivers, you got some nice pieces coming back. Like, how healthy is Luke has? Like, there's just so many fun questions. And then running back, it's kind of so stable of a bunch of dudes. I like the Utah transfer. He's obviously got some experience. Uh, dudes coming back like Dubinian and Augustov and Dom Johnson. Like, it's just going to be fun to see, like, what this, like, offense, because it's a brand new offense. Yeah. And we really didn't see Arkansas run any type of offense last year. I mean, nope. they fired their OC midseason. There was a lot of people who thought that Kenny Guyton was going to implement a completely new scheme. I feel like last year you just have to throw it out the window. Yeah. With everyone that was involved completely, except for Andrew Armstrong, the one good player. We can yeah. keep his stats. Those yeah. count. He, his, but every other, brother, everything else does not count. Well, Isaac Tesla being back, you know, like yeah. you know how freak of an athlete he was and seemed to have a lot of things going for him, but you just didn't get to see him very much. So, yeah. you know, we, we don't know what is in store for him. You think about – uh, even even the, the tight ends with Luke has and about his health, but also, you know, Ty Washington, who was a guy that seemed like every – whenever the first drive happened, it's like they like, oh, just go to him and make it work. Like that's what they wanted. <laughs> and so I, I'm, I'm excited about the pieces. And I guess the, here's, the, here's the thing, because we're talking about this. This is even pre-talking season. Like this isn't even talking oh, yeah. season. This is pre-pre-talking season. But the, the thing I'm going to look at is like how – what is a legitimate, stable expectation for this offense? And I'm talking about for the season. You put it into numbers. You can put it into stats for the season. You can put it into everything. But I think that everyone's just wanting to see an offense that is built to what the pieces that they have. Because last year, it kept feeling like with Dan Enos, it didn't fit. And it didn't fit with KJ. It didn't fit with the wide. It, there's nothing right. fit. And with Bryles, I still like looking back to course comparing it to the Enos and Bryles is like you miss Bryles. He, he when he was at least getting it where hey these are my guys. But you know we also had a few years there in recruiting. So the question just becomes of you know what is this offense even going to look like? Is it going to be a classic Bobby Petrino offense like we saw in the two thousand mid late two thousands early twenty tens, or is it going to be predicated around these quarter this quarterback and these wide receivers? Is like, just how is it going to look and the expectation? How different can it look? Well, you know, I think that's such a big thing where it's not like they have to come out of spring knowing who they're starting. Right. They don't have to announce a starter at any – there's not a date that we're looking for. But 
I think those questions you're asking are very prominent when it's like it, getting a guy figured out. If if it, if after one week it's clear Taylor Green is the guy, then you can go ahead and start playing that game of hey, let's go ahead and tailor this sucker around him. Let's see what's what are his strengths, what does he do well. Might not be the same as Jacoby Criswell. I think they are different athletes, different body types, different everything. Uh, probably different personalities. Like so, I think that's that's definitely going to be a big part of this spring of like hey, we can figure out who the guy is, but we also need to build the offense around whoever it's going to be. And so I think go ahead, whoever can establish themselves now and go ahead and make themselves the guy and uh, just let everyone fall in line behind them, I think that'll be interesting. And we're going we're gonna to be body language doctors while we're out there at spring yes. practice. See, uh, what does Andrew Armstrong react whenever uh, Jacoby Criswell overthrows him? How does he react when Dalen Green over, you know, what's, what's that chemistry like? Yeah. And so that's the fe- beauty of it is none of the stuff, we don't really know what we're talking about, but it's going to be fun to go out there and overreact to everything oh, yeah. we see. Oh, Jacoby Criswell went nine to ten today. Seems like he's the guy. Yeah. And yeah. the next day, oh well, Taylor Green, he was ready. He, was, he, he looks like he's the guy. Well, Austin Webber completed all of his passes, so he, we got a real quarterback competition here. Oh, yeah. like, Riker Acebo, do not forget about Riker Acebo. We I, cannot. I, yeah, I don't uh, even know yeah. what that is. Who's Riker Acebo? He's, a, he's like, from Jonesboro. He's a kid. He's a walk on. But every year during fall camp, there's like when we post practice videos, there'll be like one person who's like. I like the way that 19 throws the ball. Mm-hmm. That nice spiral. Yeah. Well, I want to see. I want to see Petrino, and also you talk about body language. I want to see Petrino's aura out there. Like, oh, is yeah. it something to where? Because last time we saw Petrino in Razorback gear, which people are going to freak out once we get out there and we start taking pictures and filming. And you're going to see Bobby in his Razorback gear again. Oh, it's going to be so good. But it's going to it's going to be awesome. But then you think about: is he going to be out there ripping people like he used to? Just yeah. is he going crazy, or is now that he's not the head coach and he's a little older? Is it more scaled back? Yeah. Is it a different approach? It's because the thing is, is I think everybody loved the 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 silent assassin type of mentality Bobby had of just you like grit those teeth. Yeah, in. just like you just rip you and, and like get after you. But it's like I want to see that, but I also know the dynamics different. He's not the head coach, yeah. and he's not uh, who he once was, and things have changed a lot in his own life. So. I don't know if I, if I feel like I go out there and I don't see him rip anybody, I'm going to get nervous. I'm going to be like, I don't know if this is what I want to see from Bobby. I want to see Bobby like kicking people off the team on the field type stuff, because if not, then how do we know that this isn't going to be a step back or at least yeah. a, a, a lighter version of what we saw the Bobby Petrino offense? When I said the other day that I might just sit there and follow him around and just keep my eyes only on Bobby the first two days of practice or whatever it is. But I think that's that's going to be fun to watch of how does he interact with these guys? How does he interact with Pittman at practice? Like, is it just Pittman just leaves him alone completely? Like, Pittman likes to bounce around, but he obviously gravitates to what he feels. Yeah. Best. So he ends up by the O line a lot, as you would imagine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, surprising that Sam Pittman likes to coach O line. But yeah, I do wonder if he's just has that mentality of like, hey, Bobby, you just do your thing, and he's not going to be around him at all. Uh, you know, not to say that he was doing that with Dan Enos, where he was oh, looking over his shoulder or right. anything like that. But I think all this stuff is what's going to be fun. And football practices give you more to look at than just about anything. I mean, you yeah. can just literally walk around to whatever position group you want and kind of eyeball and see the different dynamics. And what I love about spring is that they just let us sit out there for a long time. Like we can't film the whole time, but it's like, an, I mean, when you, when you sit out there for an hour, hour and 20 minutes, you're really seeing them run plays. You're seeing them do stuff. It's, it's, it's nice to, to form those opinions and kind of see how you feel about this team. And then obviously fall camp, it all starts right back over. Yep. You just re, re from square one. Yep. I feel like every now and then there's like those spring heroes that you just never hear about. Uh, so I'm sure we'll have a little bit of that. But, yeah, man, it's just we don't really know what to expect. And I think that's what no makes clue. it so fun is, like, we can sit here and talk about it and imagine, like, how will Bobby look? How will Taylor look? How will whatever? I just can't wait. Like, about a week from now, we're going to get to be, I guess, exactly a week from now, we will 
have takes. And also throwing in, and I'm not saying this in a negative way. Well, actually, maybe I am saying it in a negative way, but I don't think that there's been a time where Razorback football excitement has been, I'm not saying it's not there, but it's certainly like the expectation's so low because of the way things have gone. And knowing that it's kind of do or die for Sam Pittman, the only way that the excitement that really gets built up for Razorback fans is only if if it's about Bobby Petrino. I mean, that's yeah. really it. We could sit here and talk. Like, nobody will care a lick about us talking about the defense much this this spring. Like, yeah. we could say, oh, Landon Jackson looks good. Or, oh, you know, Hudson Clark, no fly zone, All-American this year. Well, you know, he'll stuff look like great. That. That's oh, yeah. no, no doubt. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to get it done. But, but no one's going to care about that. They're going to be like, no, I want to know about Petrino, quarterback, offense. Like, that. that's it. And that's all they'll want to know, and that's all they want to see. So I think if the U of A is smart and the football program is smart when it comes to their marketing, not saying that nothing else matters, but the only thing that they really need to focus on to get fan, if they want to get fans excited mm-hmm. is just when they do those little highlight videos, like, ah, oh, you know, day one, and uh, like just show Bobby, show the offense, show those quarterbacks. Take on that, and then that will get people fired up a little bit more and get excited about at least in a, in a small way. Get yeah. them paying attention to football once again. Arkansas sports, you know, the, the media. We'll, we'll give you all, if y'all give us $10,000, y'all can have the song back. Y'all can have the intro song back, the, the yes. Rihanna. Yes. You can have it back. Y'all can do the same video, have Taylor Green step in front of Josh Brown on the O-lineman and do the whole chains, the chains. and everything. Yeah. Uh, but also, that's another thing is, how will Sam Pittman react to this? Now, Sam Pittman, to his credit, not a big, like, got to be in the spotlight guy, not a huge me guy. But how will he handle it if if the whole offseason we're like Bobby, 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 Bobby? You know, well, is that going to bother him? Like, I just I can't wait to observe all of it and just kind of evaluate and see what the vibes are like. I mean, Curtis and I got in trouble a lot uh, last year because we used to make fun of. We used to go hang out with the O line and just watch their practices and the vibes in those O line drills were so bad, and you could just tell. Everyone in that room, like, it just was not great at all. And so that was what was cool about being at rights with the O-line is it seems like they didn't have that last year, that continuity that they have this year. The the guys simply liking each other yeah. and liking the coach that's coaching them and seeing them hang out outside of football. I'm like, dude, watching those O-line practice last year, I couldn't have imagined, you know, any of those dudes hanging out with each other outside of practice. Like, it did not seem like a fun group that no. was having fun. And so I, that's those are the things we're going to be looking for. And and so it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I can't wait to see the – uh, this the energy and the level, but you go back to the thing about you talk Pittman and how he's going to handle it. I maybe I'm just looking in and through a different lens, but I'm like, if any coach, if any head coach would handle it well with this dynamic with Bobby Petrino, I think it's actually Sam Pittman yeah. because say what you want about the guy, I don't think there is near the ego on him that some coaches would have, and I think he honestly, truly, would sometimes been to his detriment. He's like, I hire a coach and I let him coach, and yeah. I'm just there for support. So to me, it's 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 the best way to have a dynamic work with Bobby. But you're right. This is a thing where if it kind of takes off and say if Arkansas beats Oklahoma State after a week two and the offense is humming and they're scoring 30, 40 points, and then say if, what if they like you know go on the road and beat Auburn in that first SEC game <laughs> and they do it because their offense is looking crisp, that, that's where everyone's going to point. They're going to be like, see – Bobby, this is all – it's because of Bobby, 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 Bobby. But I, I don't know. I think Pittman has got the point where maybe he just wants to win. And just I, think that's, to, I think a lot of those, the people involved with the program are at that point. And yeah. 
you know, with Barry Odom, he really did. He was very good about that, kind of yeah. taking a step back and admitting, like, Barry Odom was doing a lot behind the scenes. He was an associate head coach who was really involved in a lot of those things, and he would kind of lean on him. Obviously, Sam Pittman has a little bit more head coaching experience, but I think if you talk to anyone around the program, anyone who's ever even seen Arkansas football, they know last year he missed having that Barry Odom type of presence. And obviously, Bobby Petrino and Barry Odom are very different human beings. Very. But <laughs> very, very different. But uh, I, I, I do think that he's going to miss or he's going to enjoy having that, a guy who has been a head coach in this league before, especially like Bobby, who's at this university, had success at, that he has. Like, I think that's going to be big for for Pittman and I think he you like you said he just wants to win so I think he'll he'll have no problem if that's the case they start off 4-0 5-0 and 4-1 whatever it is like he'll be happy to win yeah. and so I think I think that he like you said he's the perfect head coach to implement something like this where we really do hype up the OC that mm-hmm. much the question is okay just right now do they win more than four games this year do they have at least and not saying how many but just do they for sure win more than what they did this past season I think they'll win more than four I do too now, I think not, the over-under, if you look at it, I think it's like five and a half, I think is what they said. I think said that's a, probably a fair over-under is yeah. where I think it is. Like, I think five is like they should win. If they don't, if they win less than five, then, yeah, you got to fire everyone. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, five, maybe you can make an argument there. But I don't think the SEC is as prevalent, like as dominant as it's been the last year. I think the middle of the pack SEC teams, some of those, like Auburn was pretty good last year, but they could take a little bit of a step back. A&M, who the hell knows? We never know <laughs> what to expect with A&M. Uh, and I mean, LSU's gonna, you know, they're gonna replace a lot. We'll see how they look. Arkansas gets them at home. Like I think that the middle teams in the SEC might be worse this year. I think Ole Miss will probably be a step down, or well, maybe not a step down. Maybe they'll be a step up. But Arkansas at least gets them at home. Yeah. Mississippi State, who the hell knows? And so it's like, I think Arkansas is better equipped to beat bad teams, and they might be able to just beat the bad teams on the schedule. Yeah, beat just the, win the ones you're supposed to win. Just here's the thing: you got that that SEC home schedule that we talked about. I think if you go two and two in those games, which you know, it's still tough, but well, we got you got Tennessee, which you're not going to beat Texas. I just I, I know you've had luck against Texas, but man, no, they're, they, so. they're going to be really tough. And then LSU, I mean, you almost beat them last year on the road, yeah. and you were not a great team. So who knows? Maybe just maybe you uh, you figure it out. But if you can go two and two in those games, and then with your three true road games, win two of those, that right there suddenly becomes a four win SEC season, and that's a huge success. But I feel like that if they won four SEC games, John. We would have massive. to we'd have to throw the biggest party of all time. I, you'd have to. You'd have to pop bottles and get crazy with it. Which I mean, I'm not saying they we party will. like it's 2011. <laughs> but I think it's truly like if you do something like that, that'll put your record at seven or eight wins, depending on the Oklahoma State game, and everybody's happy. And that's oh, really yeah. what it comes down to this year for Razorback fans. Is I feel like Razorback fans are like. We want to get to a point to where we win enough games that satisfies us. And given the schedule, given the circumstance, given what happened last year, given the team, given everything, I think almost every Razorback fan would say, sign me up for seven wins. If you yeah. get to seven wins, I'm happy. Anything above that is just icing on the cake. But anything less than that, I think even six wins would be like, depending on who you beat, yeah. you know, it would be like, okay, but if you don't make postseason this year, it's bad, everyone's gone, and you got to move on. I would, I think so, and I think if they won, if they won six games, and then maybe got that seventh win with a bowl. Like I think that's kind of that would be a win for me, or at least just kind of in my eyes of how I view it. Because then at least we would have that off season of being like Arkansas is not a dumpster fire. Yeah, or like this off season since January, anytime you bring up Arkansas, you're like, well, the football team sucks, but you know, and we're about to do that with basketball too. Yep. You just can't have eight more months of an off season where you're like, well. The football team sucks, but you know, like I just you can't do that. If you mm. just make a bowl game, you're at least respectable. 
coming away from the 2022 season when everyone was expected that team to win more than six, seven games, even after that year, we didn't enter the offseason being like, oh, ugh, what are we going to, you know, what's yeah, going to happen? Like, you know, you got to at least give people a chance to talk themselves into the team being yes. good. This offseason, we really have been that that opportunity has been ripped from us. We cannot expect good things. So all we got to hope for is that they can maybe be competent and uh, not make every Saturday miserable. That's that's what it was last year. <laughs> the bar's real like, high, boys. I know. Like I said, it's like just <laughs> shoot for the moon. You land among the stars. <laughs> just just like just help us out and where. You know, again, I'm not saying that they have to win that Oklahoma State game week two, but that might be the most crucial uh, game of the season. Because if you win that on the road against Oklahoma State, you're set up for at minimum five wins, I think. And and, and again, anything else is just kind of more icing on the cake, too. And I I just believe that knowing how how this foot like the schedule and and in the conference and how it's going to be different and knowing uh, where you're at on the, the spectrum of nobody's expecting anything out of you. You're playing with house money because you're not you don't have really anything to lose. So I'm hoping that we can get. I want here's the thing: is I want to see three things, three things consistently this year. One, I want to see timeout and time management vastly improve. Like that has to. And I'm hoping with Bobby on the sidelines, he can help with that because the amount of useless times they they wasted timeouts. Yeah. What was it? The Mississippi State game, the greatest college football game in all of all time. Uh, what was that? They he. That they took a delay a game when they're about to kick a field goal yeah, because they didn't take a timeout. And Sam Pins like, I didn't know what to do. Bad. Never you again. You can't go into the postgame and say, no. I didn't know what to do. Never again. I don't want to see that. I also want to see um I want to see the 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 third down and short, fourth and short stuff get cleared up and a lot better. None of this say shotgun, run it and hope hope what happens. Like see some really good plays when you get into those short yardage situations that you can convert pretty easily. A lot of that's on the O line. It's not just yeah. the play calling. It's like the O line, the push. And then finally the three. I want to see Sam Pittman smile. I feel yeah. like it's been a long time since we've seen the guy that we play in the commercial break right there, the giggly Sam Pittman laughing and saying, oh, shucks, and, you know, cold beer. I want that guy back. And so the only way it's going to get him back is by winning games and being happy and having fun. I want that back. I can I can totally get behind that seeing Sam Pittman happy thing because I when I see that video, it's like it seems like it was 10 years ago. We were like, oh, man, remember when, you know, things were good and he was happy. But, yeah, see the head hog happy. We need at least over under two and a half – Cold beer references yes. and post game pressers. You can't do those after after a loss. So yeah. we need uh we need Sam Pittman's alcohol consumption to go up this year, boys. Yes. That's that's the goal. Um but yeah, I, I want to see him I, gain I weight from the beers he's drinking. Like I want to yeah. see him gain the weight back because he's having so many cold <laughs> beers of how many how much fun he's been having. Like I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, if, if Sam Pittman starts getting a little too thin, he starts looking too in shape, that's never a good sign. I've got to say ever uh, the more weight Sam Pittman's lost, the less wins he's come along with it. So I'm just saying there might be a correlation there. I think it's going to be fascinating. So obviously Arkansas fired their OC last year. They so did. not great. There was not a ton of fan love for that guy. And Kendall Bryles for as much success as Arkansas had under him as an offense and just winning he was really just an unpopular OC where it's like every time Arkansas didn't convert a third down or a fourth down or whatever it is, it was like Bryles, Bryles, Enos, Enos, Enos. So I'm interested to see like where, how that, because they they don't have that guy to blame anymore. You, I don't think you're going to see fans being like, oh, Bobby, oh, Bobby Petrino, you know, yeah. you know what's this guy? Has he ever had a good offense? So I think he's going to get the benefit of that doubt, which kind of just, I don't want to say puts a bunch of pressure on everyone, but I think people are going to be looking at that quarterback position, yeah. looking at Sam Pittman, looking at that O-line and just being like, hey, because a lot of people view Bobby Petrino in such high regard. I think he's going to get that benefit of the doubt. And so, hey, if a, if Arkansas can't make an offense work with Bobby, 
who I'm not saying has never had a bad offense, but I think that that would really be the moment when a lot of fans are like done. The apathy would start to set in with this program is if you see an incompetent offense run by Bobby Petrino at Arkansas, fans are really not going to appreciate that. Yeah, no. Not that they ever appreciate bad offense, but, but at least that. they have a scapegoat in years past where it's like, oh, at least Browse sucks. Let's get him out of here. <laughs> well, and I even think with Bobby, you're, I just see, again, maybe it's just through my rose-tinted glasses, I just don't see any way that the, the offense is not competent like i'm not saying it'll be elite it's not gonna be like 2010 2011 i don't think anyone should expect that but i think that there is a legitimate chance that not only is the offense improved upon in scoring and in stats and all of that but just uh you know something as simple as the timeliness of play calls because i think what also and i could be completely totally wrong but i think what also really helps arkansas and bobby is that bobby being the oc of a&m last year at least got him back to going up against some of these SEC, same SEC opponents that Arkansas is going to be facing because we always know how he had these plays written up and drawn up for the teams that he faced until the next year they face them. So I'm hoping that maybe cracking back into the SEC and getting a little taste of those some of those teams from last season, maybe that'll help him out and kind of getting a head start on it to where he's not just, oh, going from Missouri State, bam, now you're in the SEC again. Like it, you, you had a little taste of it. You see what it's like now compared to what it was in 2010. So how do you adjust? How do you make it better? How do you how do you fly realistically to getting a better offense? That's a great point. And it also reminded me of something that happened when Bobby was at Louisville for his second stint with Lamar Jackson. I don't remember who it was they played week one, but they played a big game to start the year. And I remember Bobby saying, I've been preparing for this game since February or something like that. I think like it was he's like Florida been, State or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think it was like a big game. And, they, and you know, I think Lamar Jackson had like nine touchdowns in that game. I wonder if we're going to get something like that with the Oklahoma State game because I don't think Bobby will be pre- preparing for UAPBs, you know, for ten months. But I wouldn't be stunned if they have some stuff in that Oklahoma State game where he's sifting through the footage already and he's like, "I know what I'm going to do. Yeah. I already know." Like he knows deep down. Do you think deep, you know, real life? If he'll never admit to this, do you think deep down Bobby has a guy where he's like Taylor Green is who he has in his brain when he's thinking about this team when he's thinking about whatever. He has to have somewhat of a preference, right? I, I think it has to be Taylor Green because yeah. it's the only quarterback that he's personally brought into this team. I mean, I know that Pittman and everybody else was probably in on it, but like Jacoby Criswell, Malachi Singleton, KJ Jackson, you know, those guys, those guys are people that are probably really good quarterbacks and highly regarded and, and have a lot of talent. But I would just have to think it's got to be Taylor Green because that's the one that Bobby has actually had a hand in getting yeah. to campus. So. I think that's why I think it has to be Taylor Green, but I don't care who it is. It's not like I'm saying, oh, it better right. be Taylor Green. I don't care who it is because I'm just going to trust Bobby. But I honestly truly believe that he wouldn't have gotten Taylor Green and brought Taylor Green in if he didn't feel like he was really comfortable with Taylor Green running his offense. Do we have odds on this yet on the, the, the starting some. quarterback? I mean, we, I, I really think like I think Taylor Green has to be the betting favorite. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like say, I like Criswell, and I know a lot of Hog fans love Criswell and like think he's like a star. I you know I think I think I think Bobby I agree with what you said that he probably in deep down is in his heart whether he had admitted it or not is thinking about Taylor Green but I think also I don't think that means that Jacoby Criswell can't win this job no, no. and I think uh, I think that, you know they'll they'll adapt if they need to and I think you know Criswell's a talented kid like there was a time in fall camp last year he was the most popular player on the team among the fan yes. base so I think it's going to be interesting man but yeah I, I can't wait to just I, I feel like they need to get the guys settled as soon as they can yeah like and I don't I, think they, don't think they need to rush it but. I would love to see there be some separation, honestly. I do not want to be leaving spring, and they're like, oh, it's dead even. We'll see what happens in the fall, because then we have to spend all summer arguing over it. (laughs) You know, and and I I would rather there be some separation just a little bit. I I think there will be, because, again, 
I don't, I don't think Bobby wants it to where, of course, I don't know. Like, remember when, I guess, 2009, that first game of the season, I believe it was Missouri State and Little Rock. But yeah. they had, it was still between Ryan Mallett and Tyler Wilson. Ryan Mallett started the first half and Tyler Wilson started the second half. And like Bobby going into the game even said, that's what we're going to do because the competition's there. Mallett ended up winning it. But I, 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 don't, want, I don't want that yeah. at all. I don't want it to be where you're going into UAPB in Little Rock and Bobby says, well, we're going to have Taylor Green start the first half and then second half's going to be uh, Jacoby Criswell because, again, not that I don't trust Bobby, but that's just going to make me feel like, okay, is it because – they're just that good, the competition's yeah. there, or is it because both of them are up and down and one time it's one somebody good and the other time it's somebody good, so you're like, hey, let's just throw you into a game and see who handles it the best. I don't want that. I don't want that stress. I don't want those questions because then it's just going to be arguments and everybody trying to find pick their favorite quarterback and roll with it, like, and that's just going to be bad, especially going to Oklahoma State in the next week. Yeah. Uh, I don't want that. Well, and especially because you don't want the sample size that we're operating on being – half of a game against UAPB. Yeah. Goodness. You know, if anybody wants to cite it as like a reason, oh, I think Criswell should start because in the second half against UAPB, like that, that's not what you want. No. You want it to you want to know who your guy is going into the year. And I think for sure, and you know, going back to how I said Sam Pittman likes to just kind of set it one, two, three. I wonder if Criswell is going to start like the first rep of the spring. Yeah. I guess Criswell has to get the nod just because he's been around. He's the oldest in the room. Like you think maybe but, but but, Bob, you know, Petrino – or not Petrino, Pittman made this mistake one time with Jaden Hazelwood where he threw him yep. in with the ones, and he regretted it. He said, he said back it, later yeah. where he was like, I shouldn't have done that. I, you got to let the guy earn his way. So I'm wondering, like, if they're going to do a thing where it's like Taylor Green's your fourth-team quarterback to start and just kind of make him. Maybe that helps him earn some respect. But I think however long it is that Jacoby Criswell is the the first team whatever, he's he better lock that sucker down right now. If yep. I'm him, I'm texting – Tesla right now and I'm like hey, you want to go throw some routes man like I'm the starting quarterback so let's let's throw some routes dude I'm the starter you know like just, I would be just, like just go to Wilson Park and we just see Jacoby Criswell and Isaac Tesla running routes out there next to the playground it's like hey we can't get in the facility but yeah. we're gonna we're gonna be I think running if you these. just if, if you just carry yourself you just pretend like you're the starter and be like oh I'm, I'm the guy yeah, I'm, I'm I went guy. with the ones today so I'm the guy so yeah. it is what it is I think whoever it is just stake your claim man but yeah. hey we would like you know I know we we both are kind of on the page of like we want Taylor Green to be that we think he's the guy but I would love to see, you know, that kind of – I want it to be a legit competition. Yeah, well, and let's be honest, be honest about this. Like, knowing how football is, and SEC football especially, I, I will not bet on the quarterback – one quarterback starting all 12 games because someone's no, going to no. get hurt. Yeah. Someone's going to get banged up. But this is where it goes back to why I love – many of the reasons why I love Bobby Petrino is because I don't know of many other coaches that has their backups more prepared to come into a game and play well than what Bobby Petrino did. And I know that it, all quarterbacks are different, but I know everybody remembers that 2010 Auburn game oh, on yeah. the road against Cam Newton and the number one team, or the eventual national champions at least, and Ryan Mount got hurt. And I remember as a kid, I don't know if you remember it, oh, Andrew, yeah. but I remember watching it. I remember it, it vividly. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching it, and I'm like, dude, well, there, there's no way. Like, And then Tyler Wilson comes in and just – in What's fact, I, w on, I wish we could play it because it's one of my favorite calls. It was Vern and Gary. No and, backup in the country dude, or whatever. Like yeah. it was, and like I remember that he was uh, 12 of 13. He already had two touch, and he throws a just a frozen rope to Joe Adams. Yeah. And like, I like, because Vern loses his mind, but then Gary Daniels is like, beautiful. Whoa. There's not a backup in the country that could throw a ball like that. And he's like, you can't do it any better than that. It's more, never more than 10 feet off the ground. It's like, that's when I was like, okay, but like these, yeah. and I remember talking to Tyler about. It. He's like, he has like, like playbooks and game plans yeah. for each quarterback individually. So that's what also makes me feel good to where you don't want anyone hurt, 
But knowing how football is, someone's going to get banged up. Someone's going to get hurt. If it ends up being Taylor Green as a starter and he has to come out, I'm going to feel confident about Jacoby Criswell and vice versa because of that. Yeah, and I think, you know, you mentioned how he has like a different offense for each quarterback, and I think that's going to be another big part of this is whether we're at practice, whether it's in the season or whatever, you kind of get to make your mind up of what what offense just looks the best because, I mean, we like to pretend like it's all about the quarterback, but it's mm -hmm. about all of it. Yeah. And so what what makes this offense go? And so we think Talon is the more talented option of all these guys, but he's got he's to earn the respect of those dudes, and he has to win the job, you know, obviously on the field, but he's also got to get those 10 other players kind of in – in line with him and what he's doing and so all this is just going to be it's going to be so fun I, i'm is. so glad we get to talk about a quarterback competition i know i've been begging for one man and a legitimate one too yeah, yeah. i just i think that there's gonna be a lot of razorback fans that have to clean their shorts whenever they see bobby out there on the practice field you know with his arms crossed and you know coaching quarterback i was just like oh boy it's gonna be like just like old times uh we got a lot of comments coming in so folks if you got any uh, questions or comments go ahead and hit us up in the chat but uh let's see this comes from uh talking beer which i still love but he's like would you take six and six i mean sure. yeah yeah but I, I mean i wouldn't feel like hooray let's celebrate yeah. but i also feel like hey you're going to a bowl game you're too with this schedule that puts you at what at minimum you're winning two conference games two sec and games maybe three if you drop you know if you drop that one in still water right so yeah i mean dude if, if arkansas goes six and six I, I i don't know how realistically people could be upset i uh, yeah i mean I, like look i understand you don't want like that shouldn't be your goal as a program but given like what's been going on six and six was six and six would be pretty mm. it would it would be at least a sign that the program is more stable than it appears now and think about also if you win just say two sec games and considering who like no matter who those two games come against it's going to come against somebody that's like you either really want to beat or people's not expecting you to be like yeah. say if it's just like auburn and missouri Dad Gummit, haven't you wanted to beat freaking Missouri? Oh, yeah. You're tired of it? Or say if it's AM, Dad Gummit, aren't you happy about that? Or you beat Tennessee. You're like, hey, Tennessee's a great team. Right. Like, no matter who it is. Nothing those... better than beating LSU, man. It's yeah. just, it's, yeah. it's fun. And Texas, whoever. Oh, you know I mean? Yeah. And, you've man, all... and that Texas game's in like mid November, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's like the third to last game of the season. So it's going to be cold. But... They're going to bust out Larry on that game? <laughs> oh, dude, that'd be, that'd be awesome. That'd be epic. They start busting out Larry the bowling ball. But Larry even... got dust on him right now. Man, he's, yeah, he's not a guy. I don't, I don't even know if they know where he's at. He might be in a closet somewhere. But same thing with uh, even Ole Miss. Like they've, they've either owned they've either owned Ole Miss or they've played as about as tough as you can against Lane Kiffin. Like they've either blown out Ole Miss or it's Man. been a, like a one point or a three point game or seven point game. What like, is the Ole Miss game in October? I believe so, yeah. I was going to say, that's one you, you you almost wish you could catch Ole Miss in like mid-November because I feel like there's games, Lane Kiffin teams, and I love Lane Kiffin, but there's always games where it's either the conditions get to him or his team just doesn't show up for yeah. whatever reason. They've done it against Arkansas. I mean, that 2022, when Arkansas got the bust out Larry against them down they, the stretch. They like, destroyed them. I mean, the, the score ended up being way closer than it actually was, but they were up 42-6 to six at one 42 point, 42-6 because right? because Arkansas was up 35-6 to six at halftime yeah. and getting the ball back. And then they get the ball to start the second half. And I think it's like the second play. Rocket Sanders breaks out this long run. Yeah, they, I mean, they beat the pants off of them. So, and yeah. that was an Ole Miss team that went eight and four. Right. Like, so it was like, a trash team. Yeah. Arkansas is not going to be a better football team than Ole Miss this year. No. But I think they're the type of team where it's like, especially at home, maybe you catch them. And same with like a lot of these teams. Arkansas is going to have to beat teams that they're worse than. But we see it happen in college sports all, the time, all the time, man. All the time. Uh, I mean, Missouri, Missouri was like an average football team last year and they went 10 and whatever, 10 and three. 10 and two. Or like, 11 and two yeah, after bowl game. 11 and yeah that's crazy that's and so stupid. it's like it's if, if missouri can go 11 and 2 i mean geez yeah arkansas can go seven and five uh, at least at least uh parker ham says 
Ryan Mouth, 6'6, 235. Taylor Green, 6'6, 220. The, the, See the, that being the similarities guy. between those two guys end after height. Yep. Yep. <laughs> because they could not be more different as far as uh, athleticism. And, and listen, they're like Ryan Mouth, you know, rest in peace. One of the yeah. greatest. If, one of the me, best the, ever. I mean, the maybe best the, to do it at Arkansas. The best Arkansas quarterback ever? I yeah. mean, is that I fair mean, to say? No, I've, I've, I've been saying it even yeah. when he was at Arkansas. I'm like, it's not, you can't right. get better than what he was able to do. So. Uh, but yeah, and do, we do know though that Bobby likes bigger quarterbacks. Like he, yeah. he always has, because even you know you think about the like Ryan Mount was six seven and six 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 seven. Tyler Wilson six three six four. Yeah, and he was like a shrimp compared. to I him. know. And then Brandon uh, Mitchell was like six three, yeah, uh, six four. And you know he always and Brandon, Brandon Mitchell was I think was about six. Brandon Mitchell, former Arkansas basketball player, former Arkansas basketball great who posterized uh, that Ole Miss player Terrence Henry. That's about go. that's about the extent of the highlights of his basketball career, but I do remember that. You remember when they went through like a three year stretch where quarterbacks could be small? Like Drew Brees was yes. really popping, and then Russell Wilson came, and then it was like a thing where it was like, oh, you know what? Maybe maybe we should draft five. And now it's kind of overcorrected where they're yes. like, wait a minute, we don't want our quarterback to be five ten. Because then like they draft <laughs> Kyler Murray, and it's like, oh yeah, and then man. Bryce Young, who looked like a preschooler out there in the yes. NFL, it's like, wait, we I think we figured out big guys are cool. And even Baker Mayfield, I think he's only like six foot. I don't think right, Baker's like Baker that big. Mayfield went one overall, and Baker Mayfield. It's clearly a like a competent NFL yeah. quarterback. He would never go one overall again. Like that would never happen no, again. No. Uh, but we were back in the day. It was like it was kind of trendy to draft the short guys. And now I think we've we see Josh Allen and Mahomes out there, and we're like, well, let's just get a big dumb idiot that can run fast and throw the ball far. <laughs> yeah. Let's just get one of those guys too. Yeah. So we'll get to more of your comments, folks, here in just a second. Uh, but I want to tell you all about Alumni Hall here in Fayetteville because we know Alumni Hall has it all when it comes to Razorback Apparel. You're getting ready for spring practice, getting ready for those that spring game, which I know you're going to be attending. You're going to be checking out, and you're going to talk yourself into Arkansas winning eight games. Well, at least you can look good when you're going over the top with your predictions and gets you some good, nice, new Razorback gear. Because Alumni Hall, they have the nicest type of apparel. They, they got Columbia. They got Nike. They got Peter Millar. They got Southern Tide. They got all the best brands that you could possibly choose from, and they have it for all ages. They have it for uh, males and females and everything. So you got to check them out because they have it all. And if you go to their website, natiestatesports.com slash alumni hall, go to that website right there. You can purchase it and have it delivered to your door. So maybe if you're not in the Northwest Arkansas area and you can't get over there to 3417 North College Avenue, then have it ordered and shipped to you, and it'll be there directly, and you'll be ready for the spring season. We also know baseball season's going to be in full swing here soon, and you're going to be going to a lot of those games. they got plenty of apparel there, too. So no matter what it is, be sure to check it out with Alumni Hall by going to nattystatesports.com slash alumni hall for all of your Razorback apparel. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back with your Arkansas update, so stay with us here on the John Neighbor Show live from Natty State Sports Studios. Fanville is 1,843 miles away, but the call of the Hawks can be heard all the way to San Francisco. Let's take my dick in the mashed potato. Go Hawks. Powered by Arkansas for Arkansas. Every time you put a mic in my face, I'm going to say Arkansas. The John Neighbors Show is live from the Natty States Sports Studios. here in just a little bit and always looking forward to, to catching up with old dusty as uh you know it was amazing just uh thinking about how i don't know how to hopefully but i was like it's almost been like 10 years since he arrived on arkansas's campus that's crazy to think about yeah. but i mean yeah i mean we're gonna get to a point where it's like a mike anderson players from that era it's like that's ancient history yeah 
Seems oh. like it was just yesterday, but man. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I'm not saying I was starstruck seeing Dusty and talking to him, but you know, in this business that we're in, we see famous people a lot, like a yeah, lot of do. cool people. I kind of was like, I was, I was a little bit. I was like, dude, that's Dusty Hannes, because I was the, such a big Dusty Hannes fan. Dude, I am too. Because I was like in college, so that was like peak. Whenever I'm like looking up to all the players and like thinking they're cool, it's so like I thought Dusty Hannes was so cool. Well, he was just like such like he he had no fear. That's what I loved about him. Oh yeah, and like. I, I wouldn't bring this up to him, but I, I loved it when he got a technical against S, uh, Kentucky in that SEC championship game where he just oh, yeah. jumped like Dick V did not like it, though. Oh, Dick yeah. Vitale did not like yeah, it. He didn't like that or Moses getting ejected because <laughs> Moses Kingsley did. You're not a mouse. You're not a man. You're a mouse. Like, OK, thanks, Dickie <laughs> Relax. V. Idiot. Um, but anyways, yes, yeah, it's it's amazing to think like uh, how, how long ago that is, how things have changed. And, you know, we'll talk to him about how he feels about the current yeah. state of basketball in general. Uh, but, yeah, we'll uh, – We'll be catching up with him for a little bit. But uh, I did want to go ahead and uh, get to your uh, Arkansas update. I got to call it that. The Arkansas update presented by Davis and Garrett Insurance, your independent auto owners insurance agency, securing what matters most. And we talked a little bit about Arkansas football. In fact, a lot already, which is great because to see people get fired up and fun about it. Uh, spring practice starts a week from today. But we also had the news of the SEC Media Day schedule, which everyone looks forward to. Uh, but because Oklahoma and Texas got added to the conference, this is what was going to be the fascinating thing is how is it going to be handled? Well, you're going to have to wait until the Thursday for Sam Pittman because Sam Pittman will be going first on Thursday. So at least he's not dead last. You never want to go last. That is to Mike Elko of Texas a which I was thought was surprising. Yeah. But they have uh, Mike Elko going uh, there on th the last coach. But to start off on Monday, you got LSU's Brian Kelly, Ole Miss's Lane Kiffin, South Carolina's Shane Beamer, and Vanderbilt Clark Lee. That, to me, might be the best day. How about Clark Lee just getting thrown in? Clark Lee's still the head coach at Vanderbilt, by the way. It? Yeah. Dude, I bet on Vanderbilt 10 times last year, John, and went 1-9. and nine. Is I can't believe that that dude kept his job. Because he beat Florida. That's the only reason why. The, you, know, you know who I didn't bet on that game? Vanderbilt. <laughs> yeah, the one time yeah, that you did. But, man, dude, I can't believe that dude kept his job. I really hadn't, like, looked into it at all. But I just, like, hearing his name, but, I was like, oh, my God, he's but, still there. But, like, what do you expect? Yeah, and he's a Vandy grad, so yeah. I guess he's going to get yeah. the benefit he's the, of the doubt. This, if he goes another year where he goes over, then he'll probably get yeah. fired. But but I love that yeah. they slipped him in because you know how yeah. many people are going to leave after those first three coaches mm -hmm. are done. Oh, yeah. Like, it's that's why you need, like, the, the bad coaches no one wants to hear in the middle because that's usually yeah. where you can get the most people there. But right. that's uh, Monday's lineup. Tuesday's lineup is starting with Kirby Smart, Eli Drinkwitz, Brent Venables from Oklahoma, and then Josh Heupel. So, uh, big, uh, big, Oklahoma, I mean, Josh Heupel's an Oklahoma guy. Yeah. yeah I wonder if, I'm wondering like if, he, I'm wondering if he's going to be asked about that. No, no. And people don't normally, yeah. they, they hate, they don't like coincidences and mm -mm. stuff like that. No, no, they, I don't know. They hate it all. And <laughs> I mean, Josh Heupel, I don't know. Like Josh Heupel might be a coach who's had some good success and good seasons, but I like, I literally don't care about yeah. like, hearing from josh heupel which i do no. i feel like that way for most coaches but there's just nothing that draws me to josh heupel other than maybe the oklahoma angle of like you're interesting what like, i can appreciate about it is that he and mike leach obviously mike leach god rest his soul mm -hmm. great guy both are kind of from that same coaching tree and they run like the two most modern offenses you could possibly run and obviously mike leach did not look like a super modern you know not the guy you, you see his offense and you're like oh man this must be some like young like upstart nerdy guy or whatever and it's just like this old guy who's just got yeah. gray hair and so josh heupel he's young does not look young no. like he just doesn't look like this innovative young like cliff kingsbury type right. of guy but you see his office and you're like oh man this is cool this is awesome mm -hmm. and then it's just like 
guy with four chins. Yeah, it's like he doesn't even look like a former quarterback. In, no, uh, he's he not. looks like a former offensive lineman. You know, it's kind of like Mark Mangino. Remember him? Oh, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, that guy uh, former, has some great offenses. Former uh, opposing coach to Vi Petrino in the Orange Bowl. That's right. He was at Louisville that one year. It was Kansas versus Louisville in the Orange Bowl. I remember how weird that was seeing that. Did Kansas <laughs> win that or Louisville? Well, I, I think, think Louisville, Louisville won. Did. I think yeah. Louisville won. But just, yeah, seeing Kansas and and the Orange Bowl and their offense, because uh, who was the quarterback? It's going to drive me up a wall. For, uh, for Kansas. Oh, for Kansas? Because Louisville was uh, Jeff Brom. Brian Brom. Yeah, Brom. Yeah. I don't know who it was for Kansas. They had, and also Aqib Tlaib was the other Kansas player during that. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was, which he's, whew, he's had some things. Uh, but anyways, that's Tuesday. Wednesday, you have Alabama. It's going to be weird, dude, without Nick Saban. <sighs> Kalen DeBoer. DeBoer. Oh, man. And then Florida's Billy Napier. Then Mississippi State's Jeff Levy. And then Texas Steve Sarkeesian. That day might be, I don't want to say it's the least interesting, but I just, I think Kalen DeBoer is always going to be about, okay, Nick Saban, yeah. post-Nick Saban questions. Dude. Napier's almost a dead man walking. And then Levy, it's Mississippi State, okay. Yeah, cool. Sark will probably get a lot, but... Since you're in Texas too, yeah. since that's where media Hopefully is. Hopefully, Sark doesn't go to Texas live before the game or before the the media availability. Not. But uh, Kalen DeBoer, I do not envy him that day. That's going to be a like he's going to get grilled out yep. of his mind, dude. They're going to be like, oh, what do you think? You know, it's just going to be he's going to have to answer questions from Bob Holt. It's just not going to be a fun time for him. No, because no. if he says anything wrong, he's that ripped. Bama fan base is going to yell. The national guys are going to yell. It's just like. Man, I do not envy him. I no. bet he's gonna be not sleeping well before that. No. Or he's like, Crap. yeah, yeah, he's pretty much done for in that. I'm sure and these coaches love doing this normally. Oh, for sure, <laughs> this is what they look forward to the Some most. Some of them do, though. You know, like Brett so, Bielema, I will say, loved it. Yeah, I think the, uh, I think honestly, Steve Spurrier did at least too. He may have said oh, some yeah. stuff, but like, you know, him, he's the one kind of want to coin talking season, and yeah. uh, I think uh, Les Miles did yeah. weirdo and Dude, I, Spurrier. What's he doing nowadays? I think he said Florida is like some yeah, sort like, of. We well, coached an XFL somebody. team at one point. I know yeah, that. Yeah, he Spurrier did that. needs to get in on TV. Dude, he's him great. and Les Miles both. Now Les Miles has some like allegations, I guess, that he's dealing with. But both those guys, I've always thought would just be awesome on TV. Like, as, mm -hmm. and I also they're interesting. I actually do want to hear like Steve Spurrier talking about quarterbacks. I trust what he has to say. Like he's coaching the SEC for all, knows all these dudes. I think he'd be interesting, and he's got a fun personality. Maybe Lee Corso, whenever he uh, eventually yeah, kicks the bucket, maybe uh, maybe what's his who does start Spurrier? Maybe yeah. he's his replacement. Well, Spurrier is about like I think Spurrier's yeah, he's like seventy three. He's, he's seventy four years old. But no, uh, Les Miles. I'll never forget SEC Media Days when he walked into the radio back when SEC Media Days wasn't what it is today and a big deal. Yeah. But like Les Miles just sits down, and it was during the World Cup, so I think it was twenty fourteen, maybe I believe. But either way, he's just he just sits down. And he's like. You know, I've been watching the soccer thing about the you know, the World Cup, and I just want to say, like, you know, when you see the name FIFA, you, you know, you wonder what the initials stand for in FIFA, and I think one of the F stands for Federation. And when you hear the word Federation, don't you think of a guy holding a gun? Like, he just starts with that, and I'm like, what is opening happening? Thanks for that opening statement. We'll yeah. take questions now. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> it, it was funny because that was right after uh, Kevin Sumlin after the whole Johnny Man, this was the oh, yeah, in between yeah, yeah. Johnny Manziel, and he sat down and he filibustered when he sat down for his opening statement because he's like, "Nah, I'm getting his. No one's asking me questions about it." And Manziel, but yeah, that was that was, uh, when, uh, that was around time. the same time Manziel showed up drunk to the Manning Passing Academy. Yes, I, I bet that was not a fun media availability for Kevin Sumlin, where he's like, mm -mm. "Gotta go answer questions about this idiot." I know, I know. That's why again, he was great at filibustering. He had to. By many the way, times. off topic. Did you see that? Uh, or not off topic, but just kind of before we, we move on. Kevin Sumlin or Johnny Menzel said that Kevin Sumlin offered him. I can't remember the number, but he said there was like a crazy number for him to come back to A and M. 
and he was like Kevin Sumlin was trying to get like, him to come back for one more oh, year for, what, for like to play for one more year. Yeah, because oh. he was a redshirt sophomore, which like back then. In 2012, people really didn't declare that much as redshirt sophomore. Right. It was pretty rare. So, like, there was a little bit of time, and Johnny wasn't, like, a, a foolproof prospect. Kevin Sumlin apparently offered him, like, $20 million to come back to AM. Dude. Uh, like, I, I bet I, you Manziel looks back to on speak it. out on that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah Manziel, dude, think about all the coke he could have done with, with $20 million, he, And he And looking back on it, I bet you he would have come back knowing that he's going to get drafted by the Browns. Well, I mean, he wouldn't have made it in the NFL no matter what, but, like. Yeah. But I think also, like, Johnny Manziel being in college, he should have just been Alex Moran forever. Yes. Dude. Like, that should he should have just been a six-year guy. Now that he's seeing all these guys play seven, eight years, he's like, geez, yeah, he's like, I could I have been in that. college this whole time. Yeah. Man. He doesn't want any of that. But. Still, it's uh, I no, I miss those days of having. They need another oh, quarterback like that. We need in a this controversy. Yeah. yeah, we need some controversial quarterbacks for either the like the Tim Tebow, the positive co- uh, controversies, or the negative controversies of Johnny Manziel. Just I need a bad boy. We Will need a Sam bad boy. Pittman bring his starting quarterback to SEC Media Days? No, you're <laughs> no. you're literally going to see Josh Braun. We love Josh. This is not a negative thing, but we're going to see Josh Braun. We're going to see like Hudson Clark and Landon Jackson and Landon Jackson. That that's there's that's always going to be at be. least two big boys when Sam Pittman's your head coach. Mm-hmm. But see, you say that like last year, I don't think he brought an offensive lineman because last Who year was Landon he, Jackson, brought, KJ uh, Jefferson, and Rocket. I believe ah, he went. See, that's why the team sucked. He went fancy. There you went go. Fancy for the, the SEC media day. You can't yep. do that. Yep. KJ Jefferson was yawning the whole time. But it will be interesting <laughs> to see does South Carolina bring Rocket Sanders? Oh, they should. They should. I hope they yeah. do. Just because I want to hear Bob ask a question to him. And uh, go up hey, to him and hey, talk. Hey, Rocket, you remember me? I'm Bob Holt. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I watched you play a little bit. Yeah, he's great. Like, you know, something like that. I'd love to see it. So, but there you have it, folks. There is your Arkansas update. Again, presented by Davis and Garrett Insurance, your independent auto owners insurance agency, securing what matters most. We're going to take a break. When we come back, former Razorback Dusty Hannes joins us. You won't want to miss it. Some great content, some great things to say about not only Arkansas, but about his career and the pros and where he's heading to next. So you won't miss it. So stay tuned here on the John Neighbor Show live from the Natty State Sports Studios. Welcome to the SEC. Well, is 1,843 miles away, but the call of the Hawks can be heard all the way to San Francisco. Let's dig my dick in the mashed potato. Go Hawks. Powered by Arkansas for Arkansas. Every time you put a mic in my face, I'm going to say Arkansas. The John Neighbor Show is live from the Natty State Sports Studios. All right, right now here on the John Neighbor Show, we are joined by a very special guest, a guy who knows all about basketball, all about hoops, and a guy that I know a lot of Razorback fans are going to remember in his time playing at Arkansas. It is the former Razorback himself, Dusty Hannes. Dusty, what's going on, man? Appreciate you coming on. Wow, thanks for having me. Yeah, so just tell us what's been uh, going on with you. I know you've been uh, playing pro ball for a while now, and you've kind of been going to different places, but just got some great news that uh, you're going to be going back to Israel, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was with a team, Aroni Nessiona. Um, when the war broke out, I went home. Uh, so that was like end of October. We did two weeks in Greece um, after we evacuated, went home. And then, you know, besides this USA gig uh, that I went to, I've literally just been in Fayetteville at home. Uh, just wasn't comfortable with going back and then started negotiating with my team about, you know, um, coming back. and. Yeah, negotiations were getting kind of, they were being tough. Uh, so was I, I guess. And uh, the team that's first place in Israel now um, bought my contract out. And we they haven't told me and my agent what the number was, but I, I, they said it was unprecedented. So I think it was, a, it seems like it was the biggest buyout um, in the league's history. I think it was 
we had one report of 100,000, then one report of 200,000, um, which I don't get to touch, which kind of stinks. Yeah. So I'm like, I wish I get to touch a little <laughs> of the pie. But uh, no, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, it's the best deal that I've gotten in my professional career, and um, I'm just ready to get back playing after, you know, not playing for so long. Yeah, well, I know that you talked about having to get out of Israel and everything. I'm sure you've had to tell the story a billion times, yeah. but just what, what was that whole thing like? Because I'm sure, you know, kid from Arkansas, oh, yeah. playing range, probably not something you ever yeah. experienced before. So what was that whole thing like? Um, just it was crazy. Um, our first game was October 6th. Uh, went out with a couple teammates after the game. And the it was, I guess it was like 6 a.m. Um, heard sirens and... I was on the 15th floor of uh, a complex, and once the sirens went off, I was just kind of in a daze, and then my my room started shaking, and I realized that was the Iron Dome missiles intercepting the other missiles in the sky, and like whatever's below it, you still feel that shake. Um, but yeah, the, they were shooting missiles that whole day um, from 6 a.m. to like 3, probably. I was just in and out of the bomb shelter, and... Um, Probably like around five o'clock, the team manager picked me up. They had given us like an hour to pack a bag. Um, so like I still have three bags there that I didn't even get shipped, um, which is going to help packing. Like yeah. I can only pack one bag <laughs> so I go. can go grab those bags. But um, yeah, it was crazy. Um, so then pack one bag, go to the airport. And while we were at the airport waiting, they started shooting missiles at the airport. So like the airport started shaking. Uh, that was like one of those moments where I was like, what is going on? Um, so yeah, like going back, it, it's taken some some thought. Uh, I, I for a, for a while I thought I might never, um, but they kind of gave me an offer I couldn't refuse at this point in my life and my career. And uh, I just I hope everything gets resolved soon. My safety is is paramount, and everybody's there. And hopefully there's a ceasefire and everything when I get there. But we're just ready to play, honestly. Like yeah. I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to tough it out. Yeah, just well, to be able to play. Well, just like that decision, I'm sure it's one that's when you've been going back and forth on and everything. For sure. Obviously, the contract and the money is a big factor of it. But uh, like, what was that decision? What went all into that decision? Obviously, the contract, but just uh, to do something like that, especially considering the experience you had when you left. Well, I guess just like being at home for these, you know, three plus months, like not playing. Um, I was starting away retiring and um, went to the USA thing with the thought of that being my last couple games and you know networking with them because I played with it uh this team last year too um and just like starting the next career I mean my my dreams to be an NBA GM like front office is the dream I mean coaching that that may happen but it's not necessarily my my first thing I want to do um so I was starting to get my you know ducks in order for that and it's, I guess it's different retiring when it's like not under my terms and feeling healthy and ready like to still play. Now, if I was just banged up and not having fun doing it anymore, it's different, like I'd be at peace with it. But um, just kind of was at a point where I, was, I wasn't really ready. Uh, and that kind of, when this offer came in, I was actually in Havana, Cuba with Team USA. And it was just, it was a weight off my shoulders. It was, it was a easy decision. So when you talk about working in the front office, or that's a dream of yours, is that something you've always dreamed about, or is that just something recently when you got started playing pro and, and developing that that you wanted to get into that? Um, it's a good question. I, I feel like in college maybe is when I started to realize that. Maybe maybe seeing the 
the stress that comes with being like a college head coach. Like, of course, if the time came where I could be the coach of the Razorbacks, like that's another dream. But oh, yeah. um, just seeing the stress that it is recruiting and, you know, fan base is just the, all the things that go together with college coaching is um, it's tough. It's a tough gig, um, especially now with NIL. I feel like climbing the ladder in mid-major when, you know, like say you have a good run at a mid-major and you've got two studs, like you're probably losing them. Like how, like maintaining success in a mid-major to get your call up as a coach to a big school. I, I can't imagine that it's been any harder than it is now. Um, but just, yeah, college, just like being able to pick the coach, pick the players you want, the staff. And, you know, it's kind of like you're a scientist in a laboratory. You get to like put it all together. And I, I think that would be really cool. Well, you mentioned the NIL, and I always ask former players. We have <coughs> former Razorback Tyler Spoon in here. Uh, talk to him about it and, and some others. But just in your perspective, what do you make of the NIL and the impact that it has on college athletics? Do you think it's the way it is, or do you like you want to see something change and adjusted? Like, what's your thought on it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think they've got to, they're going to have to make some changes because it's just kind of became the wild, wild west. Um, I feel like maybe if they just put the transfer rule back, what it was when I was transferring, like where you had to redshirt, that probably solves a lot of it. Because not many guys are going to – not schools aren't going to offer a guy a lot of money that it's got to sit out, um, and vice versa. A guy's not going to want to leave. Um, so I think that that would be the easiest fix. But, yeah, they're going to have to figure something out because just like the poaching of players, is it's it's basically becoming pro sports. So, like, at some point, like, can, can alums go play? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it, it, it's just – it's getting to be so much different. I'm just, I'm just a little sick that – I missed it by the, some years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, sure Tyler like is the same. You know, oh, yeah. like, probably look at it like, dang, we used to be happy to get like twenty dollars per diem after a Bud Walton <laughs> game, and now, I mean, guys are making serious, <laughs> serious money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, especially if I think when you played, you mentioned the transfer, you having to sit out a year. In fact, it was funny randomly on my uh, YouTube feed when it just keeps playing videos. I played the when the uh, calls put back dunk game yeah. happened, of course, and it's like you're there, uh, but you're sitting out that year. And you know, between like, well, when you were transferring. Like it was, was the waivers I've always been interested in about. Like, how does those work? Where some players get to transfer, and then back then at least didn't have to sit out a year. But then there were players like yourself who had to sit out a year. Just what was that process like of transferring from Tech to Arkansas, and just how do you, how can you get waivers in that way? Um, like it was so tough at that time. Like we didn't even attempt to waiver. Like the history of getting a waiver at that point, like it wasn't even worth filing for it because we just knew it was no chance. Like I remember reading stories back then of just like you know, guys moving close to like a sick family member and getting rejected. Um, so it, I don't, I don't even remember like the process cause we didn't even go through it. Uh, but yeah, it was much tougher back then. Like uh, Baker Mayfield, they ended up giving him a, like he went to Oklahoma, which was meant he was supposed to sit out a year cause Texas Tech, uh, Oklahoma, same conference. You're supposed to sit out a year and lose a year. Um, which I think just because of his status, they gave him that year back and he ended up winning the Heisman. Um, but yeah, it was, it was dang near impossible back then to, yeah. to get like a waiver and play right away. Yeah, I was, I was trying to think of some players that I remember, it seemed like all of them that would ever transfer into Arkansas, like you or I know that Connor Vanover had to do the same thing. Alandis Harris, I believe, had to sit out yeah. too. It's like, it seemed like every player that came in, but then there were players that left Arkansas or transferred out that seemed like they were immediately eligible right. to play. So I just, I never understood. I always heard it's like a two school thing or they had to come to agreement, but uh, I'm, I'm with you on the transfers and, and the sitting out a year. That's that's just something to where, you know, each and every year, especially with like Razorback basketball, use them as an example. 
I mean, every single year you're going to see a roster turnover, which can yeah. be good, but also it's like you can't almost get to know some of the players too, you right. know, and just guys that can stay with the team and stay with Muss or stay wherever. You just kind of like, all right, you're here one year and you're off to the next thing. It yeah. seems like. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's totally different now. It's it's pretty crazy that it happened so fast. Yeah, um, I remember us talking about it in college. Like, we'll see them get paid, but we didn't know how how long it'd take. But yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy how. Uh, far it's come since you know seven years yeah. ago or whatever since i was there yeah speak with uh, former razorback dusty hand is here on the john neighbor show now dusty you mentioned kind of the changes that happened from when you played with the transfer portal on il but as far as the game of basketball itself like what would you say has been kind of the biggest changes from when you played college basketball to now and where it's at um I guess something like what you said you know it's it's harder to have a good team when it's so much so many new players coming in um i don't know the sec they have a lot of teams that are getting in the tournament but like i was talking to coach z about it the other day um i just felt like from top to bottom the teams were better but maybe that's just biased from when yeah. you play you know i'm like turning yeah. into one of the old heads that's <laughs> telling you like the warriors couldn't beat the 80 Celtics. you know it, yeah. i guess it could be one of those things but like i just remember seeing south carolina in person not thinking like that's a, the 17th ranked team in the country um but yeah i think it's just i think it's harder to have deep lineups when it's just new guys coming in and camaraderie like it takes it takes so long to to build chemistry like when i when i was playing you know we might play a team that they played together three years or four years like some of those barnes tennessee teams like we played them when they were young and by the end they're really tough like you play together three years you know everyone's tendencies um I think that's the biggest part. There's just there's it's like free agency, like guys just hop around. But um, I will say the one guy I've, I've been going to a lot of games. Uh, I think the Dalton Connect kid is like one of the best I've seen in a while. Maybe like the yeah. best guard since Booker that I've seen in the SEC. Yeah. I mean he's he's a bad dude. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we got we we of course got the chance to see him too, and then you just see in every game where he's just lighting it up and consistently. It's he's, just he's he's a different man. Did you see last night? He had. Yeah, forty against Auburn. Yeah, just like it was nothing. Just nothing. Know, another another day at the office for him. And Easy, stuff. man. Yeah, he's he's a big time guy. Yeah, yeah, because he he's one of those guys too. Where um, I'm not saying he came out of nowhere, but he definitely was a player that probably people didn't know his name last year, right. and then he just comes alive and yeah. and now you see it. And I mean, I don't know where he's going to get drafted or anything like that, but uh, he it's I think it's just good for SEC and good for having players like that that can draw attention to it too. Yeah, I love seeing the SEC get to be one of the premier conferences. Cause yeah. I feel like, you know, I hate to keep going back to when I was here, but like it's four, four or five bid league at best. And yeah. now, you know, what is it? Probably eight, eight bid right now, mm -hmm. seven, eight bid. So that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. When you were uh, playing, you know, you played with a lot of great players here at Arkansas. Like you had the of course, uh, I know you sat out for the year, but you, of course had po uh, Bobby Portis and Qualls. And then you also had guys like Moses Kingsley and you had Daryl Macon and yeah. Joe Barford. Just, when you look back and maybe it's from practices, like who was the player that you just were like, this this guy's just next level good, and like it just, it, it's mainly from behind the scenes too. Yeah, um, obviously my redshirt year, like Bobby and Qual, that that was a special year to watch them. Like Bobby was, you know, if it wasn't for Frank Kaminsky and Jaleel Okafor that year, I mean he was National Player of the Year candidate. Um, he's similar averages to those guys. Um, and my senior year. Uh, I mean, you knew Daryl uh, and Jalen, like right yeah. when they were just playing pickup those first few weeks. It was like, 
you know, they're they're going to be really good. Um, Jalen kind of took a while to get going that first year, I felt like, but you could just tell him pick up. Like when he got downhill, he was an athlete, and then if his jumper's falling, you know, there there wasn't much you could do yeah. do with him. So uh, yeah, just that was a that was a really fun team to play for. Yeah. Well, I always think back to Barford because I think he was listed at six foot, but I was like, I don't think he was fully six no, foot. But he, I never bowling ball. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but every time that if he got the ball in transition. Like even if they had a really great athletic guard chasing him down or anything, he he. I, I don't think there's been a better guy in transition than Jalen Barford. It seemed like one on one. Oh, he was yeah, very elite, and then had some chase down blocks too. Yeah, he yeah. was he was good at doing that. So yeah, yeah, that was a that was a great backcourt. Yeah, it was. It was fun to watch too. And uh, also, you know, kind of I know you played for Coach Anderson, but uh, all those players, do you still keep in contact with a lot of those yeah. guys you played with? About all of them, man. Uh, always had great relationships with them and. Yeah, we've, I keep in touch with them all the time. Uh, Moses Kingsley was just here recently, so I hadn't seen him in a long time. We we hung out. Um, I think that was the Kentucky game. And, yeah, Daryl, Jalen, all of those guys, still hear from him. Well, I know uh, it's a lot's changed in college basketball for Razorback basketball, and I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on Eric Musselman? Uh, your dealings and your conversations with him, just what yeah. are your overall thoughts on him as a coach? I've, I just haven't seen someone <clears> – <throat> turn around a program so fast well I want to sit here and say turn around like we we had got some momentum with the years uh on the back half uh with coach a um but the, how fast he turned it up uh, it was it's incredible like to go back to back elite eights and then a sweet 16 over that three-year period that's that's incredible um obviously a tough year this year but I think with the portal like you miss on a few guys and it doesn't mesh it can happen like it happened with Kentucky the other year so mm -hmm. I think he's just done an incredible job um he's full of energy and you can just tell he's he's passionate sometimes I mean some people probably think overly passionate but I'd rather have that than you know low passion so uh, I think he's just done a, a great job and I think he's able to have a bad year like anyone that freaks out on a bad year like we, would you trade in? Would you take two elite eights in the Sweet 16 for a bad year or two? Like, you ask six years ago, most fans would say yes for sure. But you know, once it happens, then everyone's like, oh, <laughs> you know. I I think he's I think he's done a great job. Yeah. What, what, you mentioned a little bit, but what is the what's the issue from your mind this year? Is just is is it just the chemistry? Is it just the misses? Uh, what, what's the issue with just, this team right now? I mean just a bunch of new players and it hasn't meshed right you know there's you got to have a couple glue guys um i feel like i guess there wasn't no glue guys emerged um a lot of dudes that want to score the ball and that was their identity and don't have an identity outside of that and um i think that sometimes that that can work like when you have a bunch of scores um but we had a bunch of scores and we're not scoring a lot of points so like if you if you're not elite defend a defensive team it's tough to win that way um but yeah yeah it's been a tough year they it's with their talent they can they can turn it around for sure but um yeah just kind of a shocking year because i after i went to the purdue game and first few non-conferences and got to sit courtside and like be close to it and just kind of see them their height and length and stuff and it i mean thought talent wise is one of our best rosters so that was a little the shocking part but you know, it just it happens. I'm sure Kentucky that year when they had the number one class and went nine and sixteen, no one thought that was coming. So you know, it just happened. There's a there's a really thin line between winning and losing. Yeah. 
Well, and looking at back at your career at Arkansas, obviously you got to go to the NCAA tournament. Uh, I'm mistaken. I guess you missed the first year that you were fully playing. That the second year, your final year, you're able to to get there. But uh, just what did you maybe learn from that those two years and kind of helping you prepare your way for pro ball? Like, what was kind of the takeaways that you had that helped you kind of get to where you're at now from the from, years from my years at Arkansas? Yes, yeah. Um, I, I really felt like the red shirt year did help me. Um, it was a year of practicing against a really good team like that, really good players. Um, Coach Mayberry working out with him and just honing my skills for another year. And like when you're a young guy, like, you know, I was, when I was a sophomore, I guess I was only 20, 21 years old. And, you know, one year of weights and college stuff, it's still, it's pretty big uh, in those times in your life. So I feel like I, I gained the confidence here. You know, I didn't have that good of two years at Texas Tech and then just coming to where I wanted to play my whole life and, and being able to like play well. Um, it just kind of gave me an innate confidence. Like I'd done something I wanted to do. I felt like I belonged. Um, and I think that was the biggest part. I feel like the fans and just the whole Razorback experience gave me just like the utmost confidence. Um, I felt like I could play in the NBA. and was able to have a few cups of coffee up there, which was sweet. But yeah, I think that that's the number one thing. It gave me confidence. Yeah. What is the moment or the time that every Razorback fan or that gets mentioned to you the most that people remember about you? Is there one particular play or moment that everyone comes up to you and asks about? Um, because I know what the moment that I always think of. I'm, I'm just going to be honest about it. It's it's the moment. Dancing. To, well, dancing's definitely a great one. Yeah. I'll say that. But uh, the Ben Simmons. Yeah, free throw line. I feel like that one gets uh, brought up a lot too. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. Not really. Um, I just my favorite thing. If someone comes up and says like, "I really enjoyed watching. You're fun to watch." That's 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 as good a compliment as mm -hmm. as you can get. Uh, just to give someone joy to watch you play, what you love to do. That's that's the biggest compliment for me. Yeah. Was there a favorite game that you had looking back at when your time at Arkansas that you look at? You say like, "Man, that that was a lot of fun." And yeah. Sticks uh, out? At Vandy was pretty fun because yeah. I was like a one for 10. I was having just a terrible night and I was sitting on the bench. We're down like 16 or something with like five minutes left and it just felt all like, you know, I had a bad game. It felt like it was over. He subs me in. And I remember f like, I think I hit one layup and I hit another layup, another layup. Like I just like strung together 10 or 12 points or something like that. And then I look up and it's like, we're down two. And then Moses steals it and he'll lay up and we're either down one or tied or something like that. And then Daryl hits that, gets fouled on that three uh, and hits all three free throws and we won. And I remember just, you know, walking them down at their place uh, was awesome. And then also um, just our road record that year. I don't know if it still stands, but I, I think that was the best SEC road record we had yeah. since the national championship team. Yeah, I think it was, is it six wins, I believe? Six or seven, yeah, yeah road wins. Yeah, yeah, we just, we were really good on the road that year. Um, that was my favorite moments, too. Just winning on the road was more fun than winning at Bud. Like, I'd, I always would tell my teammates and people, like, hitting a three at Bud is awesome. Like, I love hitting a three and, like, a momentum three. It gets loud. They call timeout, call the hogs. That's, that's awesome. But I preferred to hit a three while it was loud somewhere else and it got quiet that that one is that's like liberating like yeah. it feels so good and like you could they call a timeout at their place and it's silent that's that that feels the best to me yeah what was it i think it was the vandy game going back to that was that the one that that 
person just like ran up to Manny and was like flipping yeah, him double, off. Yeah, double birdied him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, like, what was that? Like, it was hilarious. Yeah. It was like, I, was, I mean, and it was like the worst like middle finger you could throw he, up. It was he, so dinky, but I was like, what, yeah. what, did that, what did Manny do to make this person uh, run on the court? He think, I think he just ran in front of their student section, was like screaming, and they were just all so shocked that we came back and like so quickly. And he just gave him the double bird. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, that's how you feel in that moment. It was just so yeah. random. I was just like, okay, yeah. this person, random person coming on the court is very upset by that. But, right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you were, you were mentioning too uh, about that. You're, you know, hitting the three on the road. Also love asking athletes this, the, your favorite height play you could do. Cause you know, when I tower spoon on, you talk about as an outfielder, either throwing a, or you know, throwing a home and getting a guy out, gunning them down or robbing a home run, something like yeah. that. But like for as you as a player, what was always the play or anything that got you the most hyped if it ended up happening for you? Um, man, I'd, I'd have to say what I just said, like yeah. a, a three on a road game that was like a dagger, yeah. probably. Maybe not just the timeout, but like a late second half one that like, you know, maybe say it's a few minutes left and they're scoring, we're scoring, it's like a seven eight point game and then mm -hmm. I come and hit one or two threes and now they're down 14 they're just dead yeah just the dagger those dagger threes is what I lived for because you can feel it in the game too like once they call that timeout, you can like feel the air come out of the building and that that was that's my favorite momentum one for sure well I'm sure you've hit a few of those also in your, in your pro career too but kind of looking at where you're going and I know uh, you're going to be I guess leaving tomorrow officially yeah. for uh, for going back to Israel but what has the experience just been like playing overseas and compared to what you had, of course, here in college and also in some of the pro leagues that you've had here? Just what's the differences in the game and in the setup and in the organization of uh, playing yeah. in some place like Israel? Um, so obviously I didn't play much in the NBA. I was like five games or something like that and then played a lot in the G League. Uh, so it used to be, if you remember, like you get a Europe guy drafted the NBA, it's like they're soft, you know, they might not translate. It's tough over here. And like, honestly, it's the opposite now. Like, we're the soft scoring entertainment league. Like, you come off screens. It's I don't want to sit here and be like it's so easy to score, but like in the G League, I could have 20 points in the first quarter, and like, it's it's not a sweat. Like, if may, yes, I am like a, a shooter, and in those leagues, it's it's easy. It's easy to shoot in the G League and NBA if you get actions run for you. Um, all the big man, the five men are dropping on a pick and roll. So if you run your guy into the screen, the big guy's like in the paint daring you uh, to shoot basically, um, which doesn't work for guys like yeah. me. Um, but if you go to Europe, <clears throat> way more physical, hedging the screens, like they're hitting you. I mean, it's, it's tougher to score. There's not as much space. The big man can have three seconds in the lane, which NBA you can't. Um, and it's just, it is like Lucas said it and got so much flack the other year, but like it is harder to score in the Euro League than the NBA if you're one of the top guys, 100%. Um, so it's just kind of crazy seeing how it flipped. Like Europe was the soft skill guys, and now it's like it's turned over, like it's, it's flipped. So that's the biggest thing for me is getting back over there and getting more acclimated to that game because I only played one year in Australia, it was a tough year. Um, just getting back acclimated to that style of basketball. Mm -hmm. Who's the best player you ever played against in your career? Any anybody best player? Does it have to be official game, or could it be like pickup strategy? Oh, no. Give me pickup. Give me anything. What you got? Um, so I used to go to L.A. with Bobby Portis in the summers and stay with him, and we'd go. I'd go do whatever his regimen was because um, I wasn't able to afford living in L.A. for two weeks. Yeah. Like yeah. do all that. Like he's he's done so well. Um, but one time we we showed up to Harvard Westlake. 
uh, middle school and the Brooklyn Nets were having a like silent training camp, like a summer training camp. And the team was me, Bobby Portis, Sasha Vujicic, who used to play on the Lakers, David Nwaba and Carmelo Anthony. And we played Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant was in the gym, but it was after his Achilles. Um, going against Kyrie Irving that day, that was probably my biggest matchup. And I don't know, like I kind of got out of my body and just I hit my first three. And I hit my next three and I just kind of like got really hot and like was it was on Kyrie. And so I was just I'd like take a moment and be like, oh, my God, <laughs> like I'm wearing like his shoes probably at the yeah. time, you know, like my favorite <laughs> Nikes. And I'm like, what's going on right now? Um, but then when you go to Rico Hines runs and that's at the UCLA, like hyper, basically. And I mean, I played against Russell Westbrook there, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin. Um, James Harden, like just that it's amazing how many of the stars are in LA, like doing that same stuff. So pickup was my, my best opponents. Mm -hmm. uh, G League, there's, there was a lot, a lot of talent in the G League, but yeah, I'd have to, I got to go with those LA pickup runs. I, I never knew who was going to be there. I'd just yeah. show up and first time I did not play good at the UCLA runs because I think I was just like, I don't know if I belong here. <laughs> and then after sleeping on it, it's like, I got to go play better the next day. And I played better. So yeah, yeah, yeah those, so, those were great times in my life. For yeah, sure. that's so. So you're basically saying you, you took Kyrie on and, and smoked him. Yeah, as it was my so. best, my best basketball moment. Yeah. Like ever. Yeah. There's no camera, no video of it, but <laughs> it happened. Zero. Happened. And if there was, it'd be confiscated. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Well, uh, Dusty, uh, before I let you go, man, just, uh, you know, kind of looking ahead, just what, what's the future hold for you? I know you talked about you wanted to, to get in the front office, but as far as just your pro career and, and being in Israel, just kind of what do you want the next five years of your life kind of to look like if you can make it happen? Yeah, so this deal I signed is there's a third of this season left. So the contract's for the th this third of the season, the next two seasons. Um, so like I said, it's my best deal. Um, I was super excited about it. So I guess at the end of this deal, I'll be 32. I'm 30 years old now. Um, it's crazy. I'm getting yeah. old. Uh, so if I can keep going, if my body lets me after that, uh, I, I would like to. But it's just it's really a health thing for me. Um, as long as I can keep going, I will or, and obviously enjoying it. But as soon as I decide to hang it up, which could be after this one, who knows? Um, you just never know with your body what like what will happen. But uh, the next step would either be scouting or if I'm able to get in a front office and in some type of capacity. Um, there's also a GM for college basketball now, too, it's with true. NIL. So yeah. that would be sweet. Yeah. I mean, could come here and be a GM. That would be sweet. You could uh, be the very first Razorback GM that ever existed. That would be awesome. I need <laughs> you to keep plugging that for I'll me. I'll do that. I'll do <laughs> that, man. Yeah, because, hey, listen, I think everybody would be okay with a former Razorback doing it, especially uh, someone like you. So you you got a passion for it. But, hey, we appreciate it, man. Good luck over there in Israel. And, of course, everyone's hoping for your safety, but also that uh, you continue to play really well. And we look forward to, to having you back here in the States, man. So, But uh, good luck to you, and we'll be catching up with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good luck to you all as well, man. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Fayetteville is 1,843 miles away, but the call of the Hawks can be heard all the way to San Francisco. Let's take my dick in the mashed potatoes. Go Hawks. Powered by Arkansas for Arkansas. Every time you put a mic in my face, I'm going to say Arkansas. The John Neighbors Show is live from the Natty State Sports Studios.
any questions and comments you guys got, uh, hit us up with it in the chat because I know that there's been a few of you who have had these questions. So uh, we'll get to that. But uh, Taylor says, how do you feel about the transfers we got in for the O-line? Will the O-line be better? You know, I actually do believe the O-line will be better because it's hard to be much worse. <laughs> no, I'm kind of somewhat being kidding. But still, I, I believe that the, the offensive line honestly will be better than what we've seen this past year. Uh, I think you got some key pieces of guys returning. I think Josh Braun, uh, knowing how he graded out last year and the development he has, I think he's really going to be a huge part of this. I think uh, some of the transfers that they did get, uh, whether it's Addison Nichols or uh, I think it's Carmona, as I say his name, like those, those are going to be very pivotal parts to this team and the success that they have. So I think it's going to be a much more improved offensive line over time. And Again, it's not like it has a whole lot to get to, but it's it's also, too, with Eric Mateos, who's the new offensive line coach. I'd love to hear from Eric Mateos, and maybe we get a chance to talk to him during the spring practices, maybe he does an interview and whatnot, but I think it would be great to just hear from him and how he approaches offensive line and how he approaches it differently maybe from uh, what we saw last year and how much of a role does Sam Pittman play into it, you know, just things like that. I think that could really be a, a difference maker when it comes to all of the offensive line and the players there too so that, that would be kind of the thing i look for for arkansas and, and trying to change some things but uh, i also there was a comment earlier and I, now i can't find it but uh there there was a comment about razorback football in general and just looking at how things can get better and with petrino it's almost like there's just this automatic well it's bobby and the offense is going to be better and i think that there is some truth to that uh, I, I think that the enos experiment failed miserably actually I don't think I know that's why he's not here anymore I guess he's at Florida now but I, I just didn't really feel like with Enos coming in I know I said that I felt good about it because of the way he's developed quarterbacks and his experience but we saw from the early outset that it was going to be a problem and the players responses were a problem and, and their their vibe it was all just a big problem but now I think that uh, with Petrino there's just no way. There's just no way it's going to be a worse offense than what we saw last year. I just don't think. And I'm sure that comment won't come back to bite me or anything, but I do believe that it'll be a, a much better and much more improved offense uh, than what it was last year. So, Also, I, I wanted to bring up this deal, too. This is more of, I guess, we could have had it part of your Arkansas update and everything. But uh, I did see that former Razorback Jeff Peterson. I don't know if you all remember Jeff Peterson. You probably don't. He, was, he played during kind of the Pelfrey era. He was a point guard. He transferred from Florida State. Well, he's now being officially hired as the Brooklyn Nets executive. Or excuse me, he was the Brooklyn Nets executive. Now he's being hired by the Charlotte Hornets as the franchise's next head of basketball operations. Parent uh, sides were expected to reach a formal contractual agreement soon. That's according to Adrian Wojnarowski. And I'm like, so that's what happened to that guy. <laughs> that's what happened to him. But yeah, I saw it. I was like, hey, that's cool. That's cool. I'm glad. Former Hogs, Woo Pig, you know, hashtag Pro Hogs, getting a little action there in the front office. Something that Dusty wants to do, eventually when we talk to him. But thought that was a cool thing for Jeff Peterson. And for those who don't remember, just uh, look him up. He doesn't have a whole lot of stats and anything, but still, just uh, a cool thing. And also, I want to talk about this with college football and the playoff that they're still trying to do. I'm just going to bring this up and I'm going to show you guys about it. This is coming from Ross Dellinger, who Ross Dellinger. Great, great guy who's always on top of it when it comes to all things college football and reporting and getting the word out, all that great stuff. But Ross tweeted this out when it comes to college football playoff and Yahoo Sports. It says a 14-team playoff model is being socialized 
that would grant three automatic qualifiers each to the Big Ten and to the SEC, two automatic qualifiers each to the Big 12 and ACC, one automatic qualifier to G5, group of five teams, plus three at-large bids. That's what the sources say. The model's not finalized and is not the only option, but more discussion and vetting is expected in this. Now, this is a thing that where playoff has been discussed as far as what it's going to look like for, I mean, really since it began. And I, I love college football. I love what college football has done. I love the sport. It's, one of, it's my favorite sport of all time. But still, it does so many things to just make it so difficult on itself sometimes. To me, it's an easy thing when it comes to the college football playoff. I know you're trying to appease everybody. And the Pac-12 becoming obsolete, I think, really threw a wrench into things and pissed in everybody's Wheaties. But to me, I honestly believe that the, the college football playoff does not need to be as difficult as what people make it out to be. It, if it ends up being something like this, I feel like that's a lot more complicated than what it needs to be. Now, do I think it's right and okay that you get three automatic qualifiers from the SEC and the Big Ten? Yeah, I do. Because more often than not, those conferences are going to be the best conferences with the best teams, and it's also going to bring in the most dollars. But I also understand that College football and college sports are pretty cyclical. You never know really what to expect. You know, there was a time where the Pac-12 was considered to be completely and totally trash as a football conference. But over the past few years, it actually became one of the better ones, at least competitively. There was a time where the SEC was just fine as a conference. But Big Ten, that was a big one that had a lot of great teams. The ACC a little bit. When it got added Florida State, Miami, that became a much bigger deal. Even the Big 12, as they constantly had Texas and Oklahoma being those competing teams, there was a stretch where there wasn't an SEC team that won a national championship. I know, crazy, right? And there was also a time where the SEC didn't have the up-and-down, all-around, highly competitive teams that it always had. So the point is, is you do something like this, I think it sounds good in theory. I think it sounds good overall. But I just don't know how that can be something that is consistent. Because what if... Something happens to the Big Ten or some couple teams join the SEC. I mean, who's to stop them from doing so? Or what happens if some teams from the Big 12 or from the ACC jump into another conference, which is absolutely possible? And what if a team like Florida State leaves the ACC? What does that do for their two automatic qualifiers? Does that mean they're more deserving of it? Does that mean the SEC or the Big Ten gets another one? I just don't think it needs to be this complicated when it comes to the playoffs. I think it needs to be something set in stone where all the conferences can be appeased, where it's one automatic qualifier who is the champion of each conference. So you get one from the Big Ten, one from the SEC, one from the Big 12, one from the ACC. You get one group of five. And then after that, you get set. I guess if I'm doing my math correctly, you get seven at large bids. Just take the next best seven because that way you win twice, brother. You get an automatic qualifier that shows that the conference championship does matter if you win it because it gets you into the playoff no matter what. You can even do it to where those teams are the ones that are hosting home games if they get to that point too. And also, you can't have anyone argue that because you're not in a major conference, you got screwed because, you know, you got to be a part of the rest of the seven. And then even throwing into the mix of, all right, well, if you're part of the seven, you're going to be possibly and more than likely a part of the SEC. Like, if you get three automatic qualifiers for the SEC, odds are you're going to get three SEC teams in the playoffs no matter what because two teams 
every single year, more often than not, will be part of the at-large. But I don't like the automatic qualifiers getting three. Like, how do you dis- how do you determine that? Do you just take the top three teams in the standings at the SEC at the end of the day and be like, okay, you three teams are in the playoffs? I don't like that. I think the automatic qualifiers only, only need to be a team that wins a conference championship. That's the only thing that needs to happen. And when that happens, the rest of it can fall into place. Or even with the group of five, I'm fine with an, one automatic qualifier going to them, just taking the highest ranked qualified team that's, you know, I don't even know if it's going to be at the time, but like Washington State, Oregon State, or Notre Dame. I think that's probably one of the ones that it's wanting to do. But still, there has to be a better way than doing it this way. There has to be a more logical way. And I know it's got, they got other options, so they're not finishing it, but it's just like, why? Why are they doing it this way? And again, this is all according to Yahoo. It says uh, automatic qualifiers. It's 14-team field, by the way. I wanted to make that mentioned. It's not just for 12 teams. It's for 14 teams that would get into the playoffs. It says uh, they discussed it with the details with Yahoo Sports under condition of uh, anonymity. I don't even know how to say that name. I know what it means. You know what it is. Anonymously. We'll just say that. <laughs> but they cautious that the proposed model is nowhere near finalized, and that is not the only format option that emerged from the meeting last week of college football management meeting. An 11-member group encompassing of 10 FBS commissioners and Notre Dame's athletic director. I hate Notre Dame. Join a freaking conference, you fools. They say, however, this 3-3-2-2-1 format is being socialized among athletic administrators. Usually one of the initial steps in the process of adopting a model. The format would start in 2026 as part of the new college football playoff television contract in 24 and 25. The 12-team format is set. Automatic qualifiers for the five highest-ranked conference champions and seven at-large spots. So we know that that's been satisfied. But why even throw it around that way? Why even make it this difficult? Why even do that? That, to me, is just like you got with with 12 teams, and we all know it's all going to be about the money. They just want to have whatever's going to make them the most money, and that's fine. I think everybody should at least accept it. I do. It's always going to be about money, and I always want more games. I want high-quality games. But you don't need to overcomplicate this. Just stick with the 12 or 14 teams, have one on-mac qualifier, and then the rest of it, you just let it fall into place. It works all across the board. But I have a fear. I really do. I have a fear that they are going to really try too hard to make this work. And we're going to see this new model get formatted out in 2026, I guess, starting. And it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be an absolute disaster, and it's not going to be satisfying to anybody, and then they're going to have to change it again. You shouldn't have to keep changing postseason. Just set it and let it ride. And then I, I think it should be something that once you, once you just dumb it down and make it basic, you go on to a 10-year deal, 10-year contract, and then after 10 years, unless something crazy happens – you reassess it at that point in time, and if you want to make a difference and if you want to make a change, then so be it. But you don't need to go through all of these different options that's just going to make it to, well, well you, this conference gets this many qual- automatic qualifiers and this conference gets this many. Stop. Just make it to where you get one automatic qualifier from the major conferences, and then all the at-large bids comes in after that. It's extremely frustrating that we're cons- constantly having to talk about this and constantly having to make this be a, a problem and make it be something that we're having to constantly discuss is really what it comes down to. So I just, uh, again, I hope that it ends up changing and it won't.
But I am for the 14. Like the more, here's my thing. The more teams that end up being in the college football playoff, the better for you as a Razorback fan and for Arkansas, because let's be honest, Arkansas being one of the top 10 teams at the end of the season is not going to be something that happens very often. But top 12, top 14, yeah, I could see that. I could see Arkansas being one of those. And imagine if they were. Imagine if they did. Imagine if they pulled it off. Imagine if they got it done. Yeah, I'd like it. I'd like it a lot. Imagine a home game in Fayetteville for the playoffs. You talk about the biggest sporting event to ever exist in Razorback sports history, on campus at least. A playoff game in Fayetteville at Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium. Sell me out to see. I believe that's something that absolutely will happen in, I don't know, 10 years. Maybe it'll be this year. No, it's not going to be this year, but next year maybe. Maybe they could do something like that. I'd be for it. They need it. I want it. Hopefully they make it happen. Uh, Folks, I got to tell you about one of our great sponsors here on the John Neighbor Show. Of course, it's Superior Contracting and Development out of Alonia. And they do it all when it comes to your interior and exterior construction and remodeling needs. They're licensed residential commercial contractors, and they specialize it in anything and everything from fencing to drainage, additions and remodeling to existing structure, all the way to land development and ground-up construction. You know, the warmer weather is going to be coming around. Maybe you want to build one of those pools. Maybe you want to have a new deck. Maybe you want to have a new area out there. Maybe you want to do something inside of the house to really get your house looking the best way. Because who wants to buy a new house right now at the rates and where they're at and how much they are? Shoot. Well, don't worry about it. Just be able to remodel your own house and do it with superior contracting and development. They're going to be able to help you in so many different ways, and they're going to be able to do it across the entire state of Arkansas, not just central Arkansas, the entire state of Arkansas. That's what superior contracting and development does. So you can call them today at 501-453-3053. That's 501-453-3053. You call them, you can get an actual quote with an actual person, and they can help you get all the things that you need to get going. You can also email them at contracting at superiorarc.com. You can visit their website at superiorarc.com as well. So but no matter what it is, you're going to get a real person talking to them and a real person that's going to help you out from here in the natural state here in Arkansas. And you need to do a superior contracting and development. Again, call them today at 501-453-3053. We'll take our final break and we'll come back with, hey, did y'all see this? Here on the John Neighbors Show. So stay with us live from the Natty State Sports Studios. Welcome to the SEC. The Fanville is 1,843 miles away, but the call of the Hawks can be heard all the way to San Francisco. Let's dig my dick in the mashed potato. Go Hawks. Powered by Arkansas for Arkansas. Every time you put a mic in my face, I'm going to say Arkansas. The John Neighbors Show is live from the Natty State Sports Studios. This was crazy. Dalton Connect, who, by the way, Dusty Sanders says that's the greatest college basketball player he's seen in person. Uh, He's like, that dude is a straight baller. And last night, Tennessee and Auburn played each other, which was a great matchup, a great game. I think Auburn's number 11. Tennessee uh, is a top five team. But Dalton Connect outscored Auburn's entire team 25 to 21 over the last 12 minutes of the game. He had 39 points overall. And just crushed them. I, I just couldn't imagine that. 12 minutes, and first off, Auburn only scoring 21 points in the final 12 minutes. That's some Razorback stuff. That's some Arkansas stat right there. But the fact that they were able to do it and, and look so convincing to it and Dalton Connect just being that dude is impressive. So he has a lot of confidence. He 
just buries threes. The dude's a lot of fun to watch. And I know I'm not a huge fan of Tennessee basketball, and I'm not saying you should be either, but to, if you haven't had a chance to watch him play, he's must-watch. He's must-see TV. He's been a great player for Tennessee, and I think he's been great for the SEC. But, yeah, I, I love seeing Auburn lose. Like Tennessee is one of those teams and programs that – like, I don't have – only baseball, Tennessee baseball fans are really the only ones that's gotten after me or, like, really annoyed me. But Tennessee basketball and even football, like, I don't really care. Like, Rick Barnes I have no problem with. I never had any problem with Tennessee players. But it's always fun to see Auburn lose because, boy, you talk about some people that uh, don't realize just where they stand in the realm of basketball. It's Auburn. So I was kind of rooting for Tennessee, and I was glad to see them uh, get the victory there. But, yeah, just an incredible performance by Dalton Connect. And uh, sure, won't be the last great performance that we see out of him. So uh, another real funny thing that we saw was uh, Tom Brady. So Tom Brady, you know, he's gone. I don't know if you heard about him. He's a Super Bowl winning quarterback, one of the all-time greats, has seven Super Bowls, played in 10. No big deal. But either way, he's known for many things. And one of the things he's always had to deal with his whole life was his 40 time at the NFL Combine. You remember how terrible it was. Well, it, 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 was, it was rough. Let's just be honest about it. But the thing is, is that Tom Brady actually now has a better 40 time at 46 years old than what he did at 22 years old. So they did this great video. This came from uh, Barstool Sports, but uh, showing just the difference of Tom Brady and where him running. So it shows a little uh, comparison here. And Tom Brady somehow... Now, I was going to say it's by strides, major strides, but he is actually faster now than what he was at 22 years old. So you're talking about 46 compared to 22. I would love to know how much, how many of you out there that are watching or listening to this, and if you are in the, the same age range of Tom Brady, are you faster now at 46 than you were at 22? Like, honestly, ask yourself. Because if you are, I'm going to be impressed by that. And I think it's just as equally as impressive as Tom Brady. I don't know how, I don't know why, but usually people are not supposed to be faster when they're literally 46 years old than what they were 22. I will say this, though, and this might be something because I think we're going to be working on some track stuff and having some fun with it. I believe that I am actually faster now at the age of 35 than what I was when I was 22. Because if you saw me at the age of 22, you would understand why. I was a large American. And so I did not have speed. And I still don't have speed. I can't run very fast. I know that. But I would like to think that I'm faster now than I was at 22. But that's, again, I'm 35. I don't think that in another 11 years from now then I can be able to say, I mean, it'd be nice if I could. I'm going to try. But I don't know if I can say that I'll be faster at the age of 46 than I was 22, especially not 35. So maybe we go out there and, and try it out. But still, it's just, it's crazy. It's awesome to see Tom Brady still out there getting it done. Uh, so some fun little random stories here. This one is wild. So a high school teacher allegedly forced students to a sword fight during science class, and the student permanently injured their right hand. Lawsuits got filed uh, because it says it claims a teacher brought swords to school and have students fight each other in the classroom. It also claimed it was caught on camera. Now the family of a student who was injured by one of the swords is suing. So this is according to CBS News. It's filed on 23rd. It's a 16-year-old sophomore at Albuquerque Public Schools. It says the teacher, uh, and the incident began with a teacher and identifying the lawsuit as Loviata Mitchell brought two swords. She allegedly hid them from students, security staff, and school personnel. 
that point, uh, Mitchell allegedly announced that she had a surprise for the students, and she revealed the two swords. One was a katana-style sword with a long curved blade and a sharp edge, and the second was a rapier-style sword. I don't know swords, but that's what they were. Either way, it says, after bringing out the weapons, Mitchell allegedly instructed the students to rearrange their desk and create a space in the middle of the classroom for pairs of students to fight, and the fights were timed with two-minute timer displayed on the classroom projector and filmed and photographed by other students. It says video footage include of the fights included in the lawsuit shows Miss Mitchell looking on approvingly. Mitchell has no certifications or experience in sword fighting. It says, uh, it says NS was then called to fight, but shortly after she the bout began, she was struck across her forearm and wrist and hand by the katana-style sword, causing a large and deep laceration that began to bleed profusely. And Mitchell allegedly stated, I'm in trouble after the injury occurred and ordered the students to delete recordings of the fights and not tell anyone about them. Yo. I, like, what is happening? And I'm one of those people that where I see the students that go to school these days and I'm like, I, 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 you can call me an old head or whatever. I don't care. But I am of the belief that most of the kids that they need to treat students, uh, that need to teach teachers or treat teachers with more respect than what I've seen. But... To go out there and to see teachers, assuming this is true, a teacher's bringing in swords and saying, all right, kids, let's fight. Get in, get in pairs, get in groups of two, and we're going to fight with swords. Oh, Ms. Mitchell, are you a professional? I have no idea about anything with swords, but these are pretty cool. So here you go. Whoop. Like, this is dumb. This is a very dumb thing to happen. And I, don't, I, know, I don't know if you have any of you listened or watched uh, I want to say it was, oh, now I just drew a blank. It was, the, it was the show that was on the Cartoon Network for Adult Swim. And it was just, uh, Brendan, Brendan, hold these swords, Brendan. It was, was it Home Movies, I think? It was something like that. Anyways, that's what immediately I thought. I was like, hold these swords. Because he was a teacher that had that bought swords and wanted kids to hold them. But either way, that was a crazy one. Now, this is also a deal. So Elizabeth Hurley, aged like fine wine. Like, she looks fantastic for her age. Well, she's in a new movie, and there's a trailer that's coming out, and apparently it has a very steamy sex scene that's in this movie, which is not uncommon considering how a lot of the movies go, especially if you're an attractive woman and if it's a romance or whatever. But the, the real kicker here is like right here. The movie and the scene, the sex scene that Elizabeth Hurley is in was directed by her son. So try to get that nightmare fuel out of your mind. Not saying about Elizabeth Hurley. But imagine that uh, your mother, your director, and you're like, okay, I'm going to film or I'm going to direct a scene that is a sex scene and it's going to involve my mom. That does not sound like something that would be pleasant and artistic. That sounds literally like torture and a worse nightmare scenario. But I guess all the families are different, right? <laughs> different relationships and people that get along differently and you know not every mother and son relationship is created equal right Brr, right well either way i saw that and i was like i mean i don't really know how to take that and i can't believe anybody agreed to that why would anyone be okay with that but hollywood man it's different it is hashtag built different so yeah how many of you in the chat would do that I literally don't want to see your answers. That's why I'm closing up shop right now. I don't even I don't even want to do it. But either way, that's it. We're moving on. We're done. Finito. So, 
folks. Appreciate each and every one of you listening in and watching into the John Neighbors Show. Be sure to like and subscribe to the John Neighbors Show. You can do it on Natty State Sports, as well as checking out the YouTube page, our social medias. So we're going to have some great content getting pumped out. Be sure to subscribe to the pod at the Palace, talking all things basketball, bomb basket podcast with all things baseball. You got the Natty State Six Pack, which is a great variety show where you never know where it's going to go, but it's highly entertaining. But I appreciate each and every one of you listening in, watching in, and subscribing. So have a great rest of your day because it's going to be the same sports show, same sports channel tomorrow afternoon. So have a great night, everybody. We will see you then.